0: how's it going folks good evening <laughs> <laughs> that was like mass actually i didn't mean that <laughs> uh you're all very welcome to the Forty Two 42.e rugby show live here at Eastside tavern brought to you in association uh, with our sponsors bank of ireland and the irish heart foundation it's great to see you all even the guy who i just met coming out of the women's tracks who didn't seem to realize what he had done uh it's uh it's great to have you all here Um as i mentioned we are giving away a leinster rugby jersey later on in the show so um Think of questions. We'll be getting questions at the end of the first half, questions at the end of the second half. And we're going to get our uh, very special guest to pick the best one. And the winner will go home with that jersey. That jersey is, of course, uh, brought to us also by Bank of Ireland. Um, yeah, it's pretty much time to kick off It's Champions Cup semi-final weekend. And I think it's time to get our guests up here. Uh, who is the first one? He is the riding pride of County Waterford, Ireland. It is the 42.e zone, Mary Kinsella! story it? how are you gov hey I, prom- I promise there'll be no porn references in your yeah, intro this thank you. week
1: he's done some really weird intros for the last few weeks so i'm happy with that they have been weird <laughs> I, i'll
0: give you that uh look our uh, our main guest this evening i'm sorry to say main again uh always, he needs uh, no real introduction a great irish sports person once said that uh what did he say knowledge is knowing that uh tomato is not a fruit yeah. uh but this guest tonight um would probably tell you that wisdom is knowing that you can't unring a bell. It is the former Ireland head coach, Mr. Eddie O'Sullivan. Everything's <clears throat> ready. Ding. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> are you keeping well, lads? Yeah, very good. Excited. Yep. You're reunited. It's been a long time since you sat alongside each other for a yeah, 42.8 show.
2: missed them really badly. I have I missed Eddie, yeah. Before the Lines store, was it? Yeah, especially when the, uh, we couldn't reach out on the internet and stuff. I was very upset. Yeah, good
0: to have him back. I, <laughs> was, a, I was a poor substitute. Like, the first time I <laughs> met you to do a show, it was kind of a like, where's Murray? <laughs> uh, are you familiar with the term Eddyisms? Uh,
2: not really, no. You?
0: Well, like, you do have a, a turn of phrase that for, I mean... That us journalists, for example, would aspire to achieve. Like some of your um, your famous lines, you can't unring a bell. Being one, yeah. Um, there's a couple here. Uh, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube. That's true. Yeah, it can is true. Yeah, you, you can't, can't deny, deny the. You can't <laughs> deny the logic. It's a messy process. About as useful as a, a trapdoor in a canoe.
2: That's an, that's an old one. I don't own that one. I heard that one years ago.
0: A couple of... Uh, yeah, you once compared France to a, the full bag of chips, is what you call them. Australia being a different bag of hammers to New Zealand. One of my favourites <laughs> is uh, your, your own version of Game, Set & Match, which was... Thanks for the use of the hall, game over. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's kind of a rural thing, because yeah, you're always borrowing the local hall for something. and You always say when you're leaving, thanks for the use of the hall, but it's at the end of the night, so it's over when you say thanks for the use of the hall.
0: One last one, and, <laughs> uh, and I promise the banter is over then, right? Um, can you remember, it was actually a story in Paul O'Connell's book, and I wonder, can you remember telling the Irish pack at one stage, that uh, Peter Stringer may as well be looking for a Mars bar in a
2: bucket of shit.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I was. I was quite animated that day. Uh, what, uh, was, what was the context to it? The the, the ball presentation at the rock was shocking. Like he would need a shovel to get it out, and <laughs> it was like just they were going down with it, and the ball wasn't presented, and he was rooting, and you know when you see the scrum have rooting and his foot's in there, and you, I said like this is it, like he can't. They're not going to get the ball there, so I said, a "Better chance to find Mars Bar and a bucket of shit." I think it resonated with them. You know, <laughs> that, the, that the ball presentation <laughs> improved. There's no Mars Bars aren't involved, but that was it. You know, but I I think I when you're coaching, you what you're trying to do is get a message across, and sometimes some phrase like um, can really resonate with guys. They remember it at a key moment. Um, I remember another one, and you, it's you sometimes you say it and guys start laughing. But I remember we were done and... Uh, In Tonga, once we were playing uh, against Tonga on a Saturday, and the whole strategy down there was we had to have a really good kicking game because we kicked the ball loosely, they'd counter attack, Mm -hmm. and Christ, it would be a nightmare, you know, trying to pin them down. And I remember we were working out of our half doing our exits, and like the boys were running with the ball, you know. Uh, which was like, this is not what we planned. so well, it's better to find out today than on Saturday, so I stopped everything and I said, like, stop, just sit the corner down there on the pitch, and I go, and yeah. I said, well, you could napalm that corner and you wouldn't singe the full-back shorts. <laughs> and I you guys' wheels turning, but it was true, there was so much space in the backfield that you could detonate, you know, napalm and you wouldn't hurt anyone. <laughs> okay. And uh, and that's the whole point, that's the space you want to get to, and I think things like that resonate with guys under pressure if you can get a across, but you, sometimes i don't go out and say like sit down like before and say no how can i i don't do that it just comes comes (laughs) for some reason
0: improv (laughs) (laughs) it's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's an interesting point because i suppose if you are saying something like that to players and they're trying to figure it out in their head they are by default, then taking it on board. Exactly. Yeah. If you just it's, use the a whole, cliche it's the
2: whole point. Now, sometimes it's if it's funny and they start laughing, you think, "Cheers!" They think it's funny. You miss the point. So it's not supposed to be funny, but sometimes it comes across like that. Yeah, know?
1: that's key for coaching, isn't it? It's getting a big message into a small, little message that a player can easily yeah. digest. What's well, the, the old Even thing is it,
2: yeah. half time? You know, you've got like five messages to give, yeah. and you but you've got seven, but you can only give five, maybe maybe four, maybe three, and then you make the mistake of starting with the most important one which you should probably start with the least important one because the, the last one they hear is the least important one if you start with the most important one. And then that's the one they remember that was least important as they're leaving the changing room. So you kind of reverse the whole thing and start with the stuff that's not that important to begin with and then get to the really important stuff, you know, like making tackles and things like that. Start, <laughs> like start, the start
0: <laughs> with the trapdoor in the canoe. Yeah,
2: yeah, move on <laughs> then, you know, to the rubber barge pole or, you know, whatever.
0: Yeah, you can't tackle the sandwich is another one you were saying just, just beforehand there.
2: Couldn't no, tackle he would attack a chicken sandwich. He chicken a chicken sandwich, sandwich. Yeah, a, yeah, yeah, somebody who was kind of shy in contact. <laughs>
0: uh, how do you think we're fixed? Uh, both provinces going in this weekend. Like statistically, it's probably against an All Ireland final that everybody here, I'm sure, would, would dream of. I think it's three times. It's funny,
2: I was looking at that possibility, and you know, you step back from the the emotion of it and what we all like. And I think there's a downside to an, Ar- an Irish final as well, by the way, which is bigger picture. But that's another discussion. If you look at the records in Europe, like Leinster played 157, won 104, 68% success, three time champions. Uh, Munster played 165, won 114, 70% success, two time champions. So, mm-hmm. like on the stats, Scarlets are 48%, never won it. Uh, Racing, 48%, never won it. So, if you were looking at that, you said the two. Irish teams are the most experienced, the most successful, the most equipped to deal with these situations.
1: Yeah, well, Munster have lost their last five semi-finals, haven't they? They don't have a good recent record when they get to this stage. So, and I think last season such a good relevant point for us to touch on. Like there was failings in those two semi-finals yeah. that they hope they have moved beyond and progressed over the course of this last year. I probably think they have done that. So, definitely lots of reason for optimism historically as well.
2: Possibly the team that are. I think I think Leinster are slightly more at risk than Munster, actually, of losing. Now, that seems like a pretty serious thing to claim when you see the calibre of team that Leinster can put out. And we can talk about that. But I just think that the Scarlet's team are probably the most dangerous opposition at the moment, particularly coming to Dublin. They are not in the least bit fazed by coming to Dublin. They're quite happy to come here. They're quite happy to be the underdogs. And they'll fancy their chances of upsetting the apple cart. Whereas I think monster thing is exactly what monsters want to be they're going down to france they're the underdogs Racing are not at home like whatever they do bordeaux is still going to be monsters home game yeah. there's going to be enough of red shorts there yeah. on saturday or sunday it won't make any difference and i think that's the problem for me in that one is i think lenster may be slightly more at risk than monster
1: yeah like scarlet's are the team you want probably wanted to avoid but I think Leinster are probably in a better place to deal with the threats they have. Like Even like, this week, Stuart Lancaster talking about they probably didn't kick out of their half enough in that Pro 12 semi-final last year, and they got punished, those three first half tries. They're already so far behind, they're chasing the game. I think now they probably have a more like, complete style of play. They can kick more, they can use their maul, their scrum. They're not just reliant on that attack which was so impressive last year, and has also been impressive again this year. Um, but I just think they have more tools to actually pick the Scarlets apart and having learned the lesson of being stung by them last I'd year. I'd agree
2: with that on the basis that if you watch Leinster's performances throughout the season, I thought, to me, their best performances in terms of getting an outcome was their back-to-backs against Exeter. Yeah, now, Exeter, really to me, are a fantastic team. I think Baxter is probably one of the best coaches in England. And he's, it's interesting that Exeter, their success, is not built around heroes or you know, household names that built around this culture that, that Baxter has built. And it's a relentless kind of ambition to play well every Saturday. And it's ruthlessly efficient. It's incredibly physical. And it's they're a very difficult team to beat. They're still the top of the Premiership again this year. And Leinster went over there and beat Exeter, playing like Exeter. Like, the two scores, one was after 35 phases, another was after 28 phases, of just relentless one-off, picker, pick and drive carries. And they just beat Exeter doing what Exeter do well. And then you think, well, okay, they, they caught him on the hop and they come back to Dublin, Exeter are going to really make a statement. And that game to me was like, if you remember, um, Exeter scored a try um, just before half-time. And I think someone got stuck in the bin. I can't remember who got stuck in the bin.
1: Keanealy was in there.
2: It so might have been, he got anyway. He, yeah. But the long story short was that Issa he was under the post during that conversion and he was just barking at the team. Yeah. And they went upfield and he kicked two penalties at half time and basically wrote off the yellow card. And they went on and won the second half. Now, what Leinster have at the moment is they're able to play different ways as required. They just have the players, they have the composure. They have the, the tools to beat almost any team. And they are the best team in Europe at the moment. And I don't think anyone would dispute that, but it's an 80 minute rugby game, and that's where the Scarlers come into it. They're a very efficient team as well.
1: It's a tra- that grid is so important, though. And I think especially the younger guys now have progressed so much in the space of a year. Like, you think back to that Claremont semi-final, and Dan Levy was, who got pinged at the edge of that ruck. Remember, they went down the into the field, brilliant try, looked to s- take control of the match, but he just got done that's for right. maybe an, a kind of naive penalty, whereas now... You know, he's dominating Saracens in a, in a semi-final, or a quarter-final, rather. Um, I feel all those guys are so far on this year, a, as well as that leadership that they have in the group. I, I'd be confident with them, even with the threat of Scarlet. But that brings a
2: huge amount of pressure now, Murray, you know. Like, no, no one's going to say Scarlett's a, a favourite. Like, you're talking about, yeah. I'm saying they're the best team in Europe, and no one's going to say oh, that's nonsense. They are. Well, they Wayne,
0: Wayne Pivach, uh, the, the coach, put it that. He doesn't think the Viva Stadium is going to be a cauldron and he made the point that uh, one Scarlets fan is worth 10 Leinster fans, that he doesn't think they're going to be daunted by the atmosphere. We've got maybe seven Scarlets fans worth of, of Leinster fans here, then, by that definition, <laughs> but that they won't be frightened by the prospect. And obviously, having uh, had great success there in the Pro 14 towards the end of last season, like, they're not... You made the point that, say, for example, <laughs> Munster going down to Bordeaux, it might be a home game for Munster. I'm not saying it's going to be a home game for Scarlets, but it might but necessarily be... it won't be fierce. Be a I agree with you. It yeah. won't be
2: fierce at all, but... And I think that's the problem is, if there is a problem, is that where there's some people probably thinking about Leinster in terms of getting to the final. Like it's just about, will they win the trophy? They, and the da- there's a danger with that. Even though you know this, this is really important, a lot of chips on the table, you can still get caught by a team like Scarlet's and they're well able to do it and they won't be phased coming to Dublin. So that's what worries me a little bit Leinster. People are thinking, they're not saying, it, but they're thinking in terms of winning, winning Europe this year because all the indicators are they can
1: yeah, the and message out of Lenskamp is that they've learned from that mindset from possibly thinking ahead to finals last season and, and that they're a lot more focused. And we, on we the shall
2: see because Scarlet's if they spend. were to lose on the weekend, where would that leave them?
1: Yeah.
2: There would be a lot of navel gazing as to how did this go wrong because all the, all the indicators are they have the players, they have the momentum, they've been tried and tested all year. What could go wrong? Well, Scarlets could go wrong and that's the problem.
0: Well, if you were to compare the, the teams. Uh, in their current iterations to the teams that scrapped off in the Pro 14, say last year, semi final, um, you kind of alluded to how Leinster have come on in that they're more versatile, um, even mentally, maybe they're, they're, they're probably stronger. But what about the Scarlets then? Like, how do you view them in comparison to the team that won the Pro 14 last year? Are they roughly the same or have they come on I as well?
2: Th- I think they've got more into their stride as a team in terms of playing their, 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 the game they want to play, which is a dangerous game, it's a running game. Um, but they have a, they have probably having a, str- a strong at team in a sense. I think the injury in the centre to uh, to Jonathan Davies is, is yeah. a big loss. Like mm-hmm. he was a huge cog in their wheel, but they seem to have managed without him. Um, so I suppose they're probably maybe not as strong on paper, but they might be stronger in terms of their understanding of what Pevek wants them to do, and the fact that it's been successful. They're more comfortable in their skin doing it. That's a very potent attack, you know. They don't. They're patient and they're. And The the one thing I say about the Welsh players in general, if you look at Welsh rugby, the basic skill set of Welsh players is extraordinarily high. And it's a bit like we have it here in hurling. You know, if you go to a stronghold of hurling, there's kids 12, 15, 16 years of age, have phenomenal hurling skills. It's a bit like that in Wales. Um, They they just have the basic skills of the game. So if you watched, like I I thought even the Six Nations this year, watching Wales playing, their capacity... Because it was evident they they changed their game. They moved away from warm ball to more an expansive game, which they kind of had to. I think their execution of that was very, very good. You know, they scored three tries against Ireland, should have had a fourth except for the interception to the by Stockdale, which would have changed our season. But they have that innate skill set, and they're very comfortable in that. So if they get into their stride on Saturday and, like, Leinster slip up defensively, they will get punished. They only have to slip up two or three times, and that could be a game-changer.
0: Yeah, well, one of the points made by um, Scarlet's legend, Mark Jones, who's obviously a Welsh international, he, he was saying today that if Leinster were to kind of go toe-to-toe with Scarlet's and play almost Leinster's brand now, but also Scarlet's brand, they are probably similar, that they could come unstuck, whereas he reckons for Leinster to beat Scarlet's, they have the capacity to put it up the jumper and just keep it t- far tighter. Like, which approach do you think Leinster should do, or are they now versatile to the point that they can almost do a little bit of both and mix it up?
2: I think it's I don't think they should do one or the other I think they can do both, but the key is going to be is that for Leinster to control the tempo of the game it's about the tempo of the game. If the game gets loose and the scarlets have the ball in their hands, then there are problems so when they have the ball, they need to control the tempo of the game and they need to control field position, and can they of course they can they' have the best play I have in the world to do that, yeah, I mean they will control field position um. They they have a good pack of forwards. They have a good set piece. They can do that. But I don't think they have to play that way the whole way. I mean, we know Leinster can play with the ball and hand as good as anybody else. So it's no when to pull the trigger on that. And you you know Sexton would have that experience to do that.
1: Yeah, I think there's a bit of uneasiness around Luke McGrath. Uh, clearly, he, in the last game as well, he was struggling with the knee again this week. We're still uncertain if he's going to feature, and um, so that's a big one for them, especially because it changes how things shape up in the wing as I well. You play, yeah. I it mean, looks, uh, it looks when, when like a g-
2: coach says he's 50 50, that's the code word yeah. he's, he's not going to play. It, it looks like, him.
1: and that means Jamison Gibson Park starts at nine, who he's talked up this week, who's maybe struggling for a bit of form. It means James Lowe's gone on the left wing, mm-hmm. and Barry Daly, one of those guys, comes you in. You can hear the tots, yeah. yeah. Well, this is an but, w- but what the, if scenario The whole
2: Gibson Park thing for me was kind of strange. That press conference, I was wasn't at it, obviously, but I was reading the, the quotes and I was thinking, geez, it was almost like they were trying too hard to sell him. Yeah. Like, as a player, now my thought would have been, well, you know, Luke McGrath, great player, he's injured, but Gibson Paris coming in, no problem. But they almost, like, listened to Lancaster, he was talking him up too much, like that they were worried about him. Which I thought was strange. Yeah. You know, they almost oversold him. I mean, I think he's a very good player. I think he will be fine. Yeah, I think. But he they seem it. more worried right about him than me. Yeah, yeah. he's coming and off the I, back, back of what I didn't get. Yeah. You know,
1: coming off the back of probably a, not his strongest performance, but he hasn't really been in that first choice team a lot. And when he has been off the bench, he's looked really good. Yeah, he's smart. Mind. He's a
2: smart halfback. I mean, he's, yeah. he's not a Conor Murray. He's not even a Luke McGrath. But they don't need it a Conor Murray, Luke McGrath, you know, they, they just need a guy who will do his job. And he's well able to do that. So yeah. I just got a bit unnerved by the fact that they were more ex- kind of nervous about it than I was. You yeah. know, it they points, know
1: It points to the importance of Luke McGrath though. He's been absolutely brilliant in, in the Champions Cup. You know, he assists, he's scoring tries, really good defensively. We'll see it in a while how important he is in, in the backfield and things like that. Um, but well, it, it does change things up for them. There's also uh, going to be, um, they're going to miss Sean O'Brien as well. He's out of it now. He's set for surgery on Friday on his shoulder. So that's a bit of a blow. I know he didn't feature the last day, um, and he's struggled all season. with But injuries. the big
2: trade up with Gibson Park is that, effectively, Law won't be on the field.
1: Yeah, so Fardy starts. I think they'll stick with the well, same thing. Fardy pack. has to
2: start because I think the, he's, an, he's, a, he's a good line technician. He's more heightened across the line. They could probably put pressure on the Scarlets uh, line-out with, with Fardy in, in, the, in the back five. So the question is then is, like, obviously Lowe doesn't get on the field, who, let's be honest, he's been, I, I, I'd be up front and say that I, I did, was against him signing for Leinster on the basis that another young Leinster was going to lose out. But that doesn't take away from the fact that he's a fantastic player. Yeah, he's been excellent and he's team. delivered really well for them. And he's been good energy around the team, just watching him play. He's very upbeat. And the word coming out of Leinster is that he's a, he's a positive guy around mm. the squad. So him not to be on the field now, it's because of, of, like, just shuffling things around. I think that's a, that's a bit of a setback.
0: Yeah, you're Jack, Jack Owen coming back onto the bench probably as well. He's is
1: back training, yeah, so he'll be coming out onto the bench, it looks like. Um, and I, I don't know, it is a big decision there on the wing. They've got a couple of options there, obviously. Um, Barry Daly's had really good form, and he's played in the Champions Cup before as well. Well, well we assuming like that
2: um, Robbie Henshaw's going to start.
1: Yeah, that's a tricky one as well, because Nathalie has been good at 12 as well. He's back training with Henshaw, and the fact that he warmed up with them Last weekend, before the Benetton match, would probably indicate that they're going to bring him back into the fold. They wanted to get him back up to match speed through that means. Obviously, he didn't play, but he's such a vital presence, so physical, um, and always delivers in the biggest games. He doesn't.
2: He does. Hi- historically, he doesn't need a huge run in either. He's come off injuries before and done well yeah. without a major build-up. Um, but if they if they do start Henshaw, they're probably, I think,
1: will say on the wing. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he showed his pace for that. Gary Ringrose try early on. Well, he.
2: he the fair, I only say is one of these guys can play across the line. He could probably stick him in a scrum half, and he wouldn't be able to play us if he had yeah. to. You know, he's—he's. He's, I mean, O'Driscoll has said on numerous occasions he's the best one, the best player he's ever played with, full stop. Which is a, a hell of a of a of a of a compliment to get. And I think going back to that Exeter game, I thought that day when they were under the pump after extra scored, he was the guy that I thought rallied the troops, and he kicked the penalties that day you know um i thought he was outstanding i mean not just as a player but his whole leadership on the field he
0: has a kind of an aura about him i think
2: yeah I, I, well he showed you respected but i just watched him like when they were taking the conversion you know who needs to see a conversion to see them every week i was watching the leinster under the post and he was right in the middle of the huddle and he was barking orders at everybody and they went out and he kicked two penalties before half time that changed the game Leinster were back in control within half time even though they'd shipped the yellow card on a try, and I thought he was the catalyst for those. Yeah. So now, in that context, would you want him on or off the field on Saturday? Yeah, it's a good point. I want him on the field. It doesn't matter where he plays actually. He'd play anywhere. So he has. To, I think he has to be in the mix for sure. Yeah,
1: and I mean that's not a bad mix, is it? You know, Gibson Park will, I think, step up to the plate. They won the wing, and Henshaw a massive boost coming back. Really strong settled pack, and Conan. Well, to that would have been.
2: Bench. Look at that. Uh, Tim Henshaw ringers would have been the Irish midfield this year yeah. in the Six Nations if. The, or no, for injuries. That would have been the start in midfield. Mm. No brainer. So, there you have a chance to put the Irish midfield together in the biggest game of the year. Like, the only risk is Hench already. They'll know that or they won't know it, but he'll know it himself. But to be fair to Henshaw, he's come back before, hasn't needed a big run in to get ready. I have a feeling they'll stick him in there, you know.
0: Yeah, uh, uh, Stuart Lancaster was full of praise on Monday, I think, at the press conference for Scarlet's defence. You thought he may also possibly be alluding to yeah. Leinster's own defence a little bit subliminally in, uh, in his compliments. I think yeah, we've got a I think we we can have to have a look, look at
1: really. it. Of Lancaster, but interesting comments just about, about scarlett You know, the tries they scored were exceptional on the day. Um, they were very
2: good tri- uh, tries, but um, I think people underestimate how good their defence is. Um, and that's the probably missing piece of the, the jigsaw, really, that uh, people don't understand that, that they are so well... Um, organised defensively. They're so good at the breakdown. and um, They go hard there, but equally they keep a lot of men in the front line. And Lee Halford is very, very good in the backfield.
1: Yeah, like interesting comments because people don't talk about the, the Scarlet's defence too much. I also think people probably don't talk about the Lencer defence enough. You mentioned those gritty wins in Exeter. And like, obviously they did build towards that try with massive phases, but they also defended through a huge number of phases. And even against Saracens, again, we're going to look at a, one example of just a 13-phase passage. Um, I think it sums up where the kind of culture the squad is, they're fighting for each other aren't they, the work rate is off the charts, uh, they want to make tackles for each other and when you've got that in a team it makes a a huge difference. This is early on in the game, so Saracens have conceded a try, they're trying to get a a physical statement into the game uh, and bounce back a a Leinster. Uh, Dan Levy, one of the stars of the show, we're going to pick him out here. I think I shared this one on Twitter. It was pretty popular. Uh, he gets in low, and he actually tackles two guys at once. Uh, you see him there. <laughs> he's got tackle So he's tackling Vunipola By the way, that's,
2: that's not the way to you put your head in. I know.
1: I know. Kids, don't try this at home. No, like, don't yeah. try this at home. But it just kind of sums up his desire. He's, he's not taking a chance, but technically illegal to tackle the, the second guy. But then you get Murphy over the ball, trying to slow it down. Don't let Saracens get that lightning quick ball. There's a good clearance away there. Um, but we can see here, just when it goes into that wide image, you can see he talks about Scarlets having guys on their defeat. Lenser of 13 in the front line there, always trying to get back onto their feet straight away. There's Luke McGrath. He's been dropping into the backfield and off screen, Rob Carney's back here. So they have those yeah. two in the backfield, patrolling everything, covering the kicks, as well as 13 While you, While you're on time.
2: that, I, I was at a coaching day in Leinster there earlier in the season, and uh, uh, Lancaster was doing a kind of a review of their matchup in Ulster the previous Saturday. And this is something that was a problem from last year, and they've managed to stamp it out, is that their numbering off on each side of the rook it was poor last year, yeah. and they were getting caught on short sides. And the other thing was, they were getting too compressed tied in tied in and they were giving away space out here and out here now as the season's gone on they've obviously worked on that that spacing and they do always play as many in the front line as they can yeah but that's a pointless exercise if you're too compressed if you are going to use 13 men in the line you've got to use them well and space yeah. them properly and their spacing like they were more vulnerable last year on those corners mm-hmm. and they were even to start of the season they were getting caught a couple of times and i Lancaster was talking about that at, 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 the, uh, at, at the training day, that he was saying that this is something they were really trying to, Like their work rate was good, their tackling was good, but their spacing was killing them. And if, when fellas got up, they were jumping into the line, but not identifying they were too close to the guy beside them. And they need to push him a little bit. And it's a concertina effect. Like, can you imagine if those three guys are stuck in here, there's a massive problem out here because everybody yeah. comes in.
1: I mean, it's so it's such it's a familiar problem. Every defensive problem. It's a very simple
2: thing, but under pressure, yeah. it's the presence of mind to take a space on the defensive line and push the guy out. And one man Absolutely. can make a huge difference. And I think yeah. that you're pointing out know, that this year, that or that certainly after September, October, that's got become more and more comfortable yeah. for them.
1: Absolutely, and it also allows you to make those double hits in the line. You know. You're trying to get those dominant collisions, two v one in the tackle, and then one of the guys can work back to his feet as Crony does there and try and get a, a jackal over the ball. But so notice here,
2: see that Ryan? Dude. He was—he just take that back a little bit. He was part of that tackle. He was on the double up there. Yeah, so he's a choice to make there. Once he gets up, he's a choice to make. Either he—if he's in a good position, he can lock him in, so he yeah. can create the poach, or he can contest as well. But he's got a decision to make that if he can't impact the football, he's got to get on his feet and get into the line. Back on his feet, yeah. And we saw even this, sometimes there's nobody in there. It's not a rock under the law. The second guy gets out and plugs in if you have time. So that recognition of, I can't do anything positive with the rock here. I should, shouldn't be here. Get out. Yeah. Get into the line. That kind of thing makes a massive difference as really well. Good. And they're doing that very well. Yeah, their
1: decision making in general is really good. Um, Saracen's now actually bounced back against the grain. And like Lancaster talks a lot about in attack, having both sides of the rock alive. Yeah. He also wants that in defence because it's so easy for these guys, once that pass goes to the left, to switch off. But they're, they're alive uh, and coming forward as soon as they switch back to that side. There's yeah. James Ryan with the low tackle. He's really good at low tackling. when you get that, you can get that uh, jackal over the ball. Once the guy chopped, there you get Sean Cronin over the ball uh, competing. And, you know, he's not in the best jackal position. He's not even on the ball, but he's just trying to slow it up, give his guys around that ruck a chance to reorganize. Um, and Saracen's playaway... There's two upsides so to
2: slow the ball. It becomes a three or four second rock instead of a one or two second yeah. ruck, which means you get to set your line. And they probably end up pouring more into the ruck. So instead of winning it with two, they have to win it with three. So they get a slower ball and they have less attackers. And just go back to your point there, more just wind them back a tad yeah. there. where that ball, where he ducks back under. Which is a really gu- you kn- when you see this happening, when the first receiver ducks back in here, you know the fence are on top. Because he's just... R- that's, I don't know any tacky game plan that works like that, where the first receiver gets the ball and has an oh shit moment and runs back <laughs> into the back. Yeah. But watch this line here. A lot of times, if this line dials out and starts to push, watch that line come forward. There. They're still alive to it. That's it. Yeah. There's, He's no got no there's, nothing, there's nothing there except another rock, and that's when the defence are in control. And that, that, yep. and, and now you see stars are beginning to wonder like where, where's the space here with mm. the ball, and there isn't. Yeah, another
1: yeah. element I think we've seen in defence is their discipline. Like they've lowest uh, con- penalties conceded on average, seven point six a game. Like that's Joe Schmidt kind of territory, fantasy territory. Uh, they're really disciplined around the rock, and here. They get a like, positive carry. It's a bit of a soak tackle from Jordy Murphy. But that's actually the opportunity for, for a guy like Dan Levy. Because there's that little bit of separation from Shaq Berger there. And yeah. Levy can get around in, clamp over the ball, gets on it there. He gets two seconds on the ball. And, and a lot of refs would probably give that penalty. But he's disciplined enough to hear it. I've got to get away ball. there. He gives it a little signal. Yeah. Look that was a 50 50, 50
2: that went against Levy. But he had a sense yeah. to get out. And, and a, year ago, have it.
1: a year ago, he might have kept on that ball. Yeah,
2: and, and mm-hmm. you know, it's known that. They be drilling them with this listen to the ref the ref is always right even when he's wrong he's right so if he says <laughs> it's 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 a rock it's a rock yeah. you're not going to win that argument yeah and, and I mean that's smart play by levy
1: yeah absolutely but they've got kind of advantage right now so they can actually use one of their shapes to the left owen farrell gets on the ball first receiver they're just going to run a simple um kind of screen play there and they're trying to isolate easton the table there uh, and you see you're going to see he backs away a little bit but we want to pick out tyke furlong here like all their defenders are mobile, agile, they're working hard, and even as that screenplay comes and they send a little inside pass there to, to Maitland, you know, Nathay was kind of backed off because he had to mark up on that screen, but in comes Tyke Furlong, you're going to see him make a big hit from the side, uh, staying alive, hunting from the inside, working to cover your teammate on the inside, and, um, it and it's massive and it and actually lifts, it lifts everyone. It g- it gives
2: a It's like the short side there of when the ball goes outside you, a lot of players stop defending and they push across. What you've got to do is you've got to push up and in and fill that space. That's how far got into that space. He didn't dial out and go sideways. He went up and into that space, so when that pass inside pass came, he was able to swallow him up.
1: Absolutely. And it's infectious on everyone when he gets a good hit like that. We're going to pick out Ryan and Levy, who seem to always work so well together on the pitch when they're beside each other, good mates off the pitch, a really aggressive uh, chop tackle there. And he does try and get the little wrap. It's, it's obviously not a, a close in. Uh, view but he just does try to get the just rap go back there, just before, before, he staff, he before the
2: contact sorry yeah there you go like they know just one sec they know that he's not passing that ball because yes. one of the biggest triggers is when he tucks the football he's not passing it yeah. so they know Berger's not going to pass that so they can take a chance and two and win and smash him
1: yeah and they do that Brian's such a good technical tackler That's the little smash. detail I love is uh, Berger tries to get back to his feet, and Dan Levy <laughs> grabs his shoelaces there, trying to get any little extra any tackle portraits. he can.
2: <laughs> any purchase at all. He,
1: he never gives up, but what has done is, is commit three tacklers into that uh, one contact. So now Saracens have their cue. Okay, now we can try and get to the width.
2: And they're back on their feet immediately. Yeah, they're, they're right they're back in the line. Their
1: feet to. Uh, time straight onto their feet is really good, but there's a little bit of narrowness, which you mentioned before now, and, and, and uh, Sarah's are going to try and target that with a long pass outside. Ringrose just maybe bites in a little bit uh, before that pass goes, he's kind of c- uh, committed in there. Um, but James Lowe
2: who… Pri- see, Ringrose, this is the difference between say over here and Ringrose, Ringrose turned his shoulders in. If you look at Ringrose's shoulders there, they're just turned in slightly and it's just that if he if you watched Nosea in the last clip, he kept his shoulders turned out Yeah. so he could always push out. Once uh, Gary turned his shoulders in here, it was always going to be hard to get out. Now, you can get out but it's a scramble. You're not in control.
1: He does try and recover, but we saw like, See, James Lowe is in that position out on the edge where so right at the start of the season it was a real worry, his decision-making. But here he, he's actually good. And what then the key is he actually gets a tackle onto that ball when he commits in. Because if you're going to commit in, we saw like Wales against Ireland when Fergus McFadden bid in. You've got to stop the football. And the offload can go. He does a good job here, yeah. bites in, and then he's kind of clever, standing in front of the ball just again trying to slow things up. And Saris are really going nowhere. They do eventually get a little gain line down the left. But again, Issa where you mentioned leadership. Uh, the Leinster have to eat back some yards here, have to get dominance again. And you see him here, he's going to get another one of those really good chop tackles. Such a powerful little hit that Vunapolo goes over the top of him and he can't complete his wrap. Now he
2: have got la- a straight on there. Yeah, mark.
1: he's straight on. He's pry off his feet, is he? But <coughs> again, he's playing the ref. You said the ref's always right. The cue this time is, you're okay, compete. You've got guys here shouting at the ref, probably pressuring him a little bit. Give us a ward, it's 13 phases later, and and we're still defending. um, And they get the turnover, Healy gets the turnover there. So I thought just early in the game, it was a massive uh, statement from Leinster um, in in stopping that. that That's a
2: psychological message to Saracens that look, you know, you might score today, but you're going to have to work your socks off. And those turnovers are massive moments in terms of lifting, energising the defence. And you see that duck under there that went into the middle of a rock, you see the, the, the fence coming up both sides. Um, all those things send a message to Saracens, there's no easy gain lines today. Yeah. And that it, It's just the fact that they then realise geez, it's going to be very hard to score today, so psychologically they're starting to worry they mightn't get the score they yeah. need.
1: And you've got McGrath and Kearney in
2: the backfield, Petrone
1: everything, they didn't, they didn't go to a kick option there because they couldn't get that space either, they're under pressure with the non They're playing space. two backs
2: floating yeah. in the back, yeah.
1: But if McGrath's missing it, I guess that's a big, a big duty for someone else dropping back there. But I think that defensively it is maybe underrated in both teams how hard they've worked on that. And as you said, like both these sides can score not easily, but they can score in a flash. You and know, They've got help. those players, they've got good decision makers all over the pitch. So for me the, the two defensive performances are going to be absolutely pivotal.
0: If you're Wayne Pivac looking at that, and obviously Leinster look extremely strong defensively and seem to have their affairs in order, is there anything you could look at Targeting from the Scarlett's perspective, or like can you see any chinks in that armor the way they're set up there?
2: Not the way they're set up there. Like you do have to win collisions, but yeah. I think the way to do it is he has to be very selective about his starter plays, his strike plays. He needs to get a lot of traction on those. Like if he can get, a, like even the best defense in the world, if you could get 10, five, even eight meters on a starter play over the gain line and cycle it quick, the defense won't get that shape. Hmm. It's not possible. So he's going to put a lot of work into his starter plays. And he's going to find ways of, if the defense is that set up, you can't get around it. He's got to find ways of going through it. So he may have to spread. If the defense is up, you could spread them out and then pick holes on, short, on soft shoulders. But um, it's not easy because they're all smart players. You saw the way there, but they know when to commit and when not to commit. So it's a hard defense to break down. But he could. there's two ways. If he can get good starter plays in behind him, You know. Uh, of scrums and lineups uh, and keep the momentum once you have it um, and then the other one is if they get that shape in front of you where it's a wall of blue is find ways of spreading them out and picking soft shoulders to go through them. Yeah.
1: Both teams place a massive emphasis certainly on the training ground on their un- unstructured stuff like Leinster have like most of their training sessions now are quite unstructured yeah they do find shape at times. But I think they'll both be looking for those kick return opportunities, uh, spills of the ball. We're going to look at uh, Scarlett's now in an analysis in a little bit, but they're really focused on turnover. Like, you know, yep. they, they, with Tyg Byrne and with James Davies, they get a lot of turnovers, and they're set up to take advantage of that, as are Leinster now. So I think there are definite similarities in the teams, and that's why it's so fascinating to see wh- who's uh, more advanced now.
0: Yeah, well, you mentioned him there, the, the Byrne unit, Tyg Byrne. Uh, you've taken a look at him. Obviously, we'll yeah. be touching upon his uh, future club. In yeah, the
1: well second half I of the show, but you Eddie, do you think he's done enough? For me, he's been one of the best players in Europe. Yeah, he's
2: been he's been right up there all season. Like it's not just a one-off, you know. And often you get a player who has a big game on a big day, and everyone's talking him up, but he's been delivering every week. Yeah. So that's that's the that's the acid test, really. You know. Yeah.
1: I mean, like he gives you the he gives you the usual second row duties. He's got a massive uh, work rate. His engine is huge, and he's so durable. He's paid like eighteen hundred minutes or more now, actually, at this stage, and he keeps delivering consistently. So he's got that line out. You know, he's. Scrummaging, hitting rocks, but what separates him from the rest is uh, the little things we're going to look at here. Um, even in that instance, like he's a good decision maker. You talk about decisions, like a lot of second rows will just commit into that rock. My scrum half behind me, I'm not going to worry about it. He wants to get onto that ball and play, as do Scarlets all the time. Quick ball, the ref actually blocks off his pass there, so he has to delay. But he has that skill to show that offload, and, and that's that Scarlets, and that offload almost sparks him into motion. This is actually the. Um, his try against Bath, where they came out of their own 22, so they're they're on a, on the front foot here. Shingler gets that break because Burn uh, fires him off for of the offload. Again, he gets out of the tackle, pops it away, um, and they come in field through the winger. And now Burn again is looking straight away to get back on that ball. He's always trying to offer himself up, um, and it's a good little half break from Asquith. On the ref, Mike, you can here, Burn here, he's shouting on your shoulder, on your shoulder. Really good support line gets in behind the defence, and there's Anthony Watson. But that's what
2: I was saying about going through the defence. You could get. Sp- just separate, guys. Get a soft shoulder. Get your hands free, and they're onto that like a light. And that's if that happens, it's almost impossible to defend. Watch. Yeah, he's there through go. the
1: line. There's Anthony Watson in front of him. Uh, you know, not many second rows are going to back their footwork here, but he chose this ridiculous step around Anthony Watson, <laughs> makes a mug of him, and then has the pace to finish off. There just aren't too many second rows who can do that. And his footwork, even in. Traffic is something that separates them, I think. This is a little, the little shape we're going to see a lot from Scarlets on Saturday. Three men, one passer in the middle, go out the back door um, and play with the second wave. And again, he's part of that second wave there, Burn. But he just is being lined up here by Dwayne from Eulen in the defensive line, who obviously outweighs him. Is probably more uh, explosive, a more powerful athlete. A lot of second rows just carry into contact, hope for the best. I'm going to try and outmuscle him, um, and it's only a small thing. But he plants off his right f- sorry, he plants off his right foot. And he kind of rotates out of the pirouettes out of the tackle um, and leaves Dwayne Vermeulen on the ground there. Um, and that's it's just a the difference.
2: Simon's play. Yeah. Zeebo or Ian Downing. Ian Downing all he's the time. it. Yeah. yeah. But it's
1: just it's a difference between being behind the gain line um, and going forward. Um, and he's consistently good in that. I think all Irish uh, forwards do a pretty good f- uh, footwork. Here he is in the middle of that pod himself. Uh, he's there with the blue scrum cap um, and putting his skills under pressure. He just pivots. And again, he, it's not the easy option. The easy option there is just carry. But Scarlett place a premium on their, on their forwards handling the ball. He goes out the back door and now suddenly the options are on. Uh, Toulon have got defensively tight and it's a, a pretty spectacular, long left-hand pass from Patchell uh, to finish it off in the corner. A nice, easy finish there on the wing. But again, it's just that little, simple pass, which we've probably seen from Irish forwards again more and more. Defensively then. Like, Scarlets are massive on turnover ball. They, they score a lot of tries or get a lot of territory out of it. Um, and he's always looking for turnovers. He has 16 in this competition, uh, just him alone. And it's not just the Jackals. You know, here he is in a tackle. This is off the first kickoff of the game. And instantly he's in there, trying to use that little strip, the reef. Uh, he's not just accepting, I'm going to make an easy tackle here and let it go to ground. And then instantly, those two passes from Scarlets one from the second row, and then Shingler as well. And suddenly, they actually don't execute pretty we- uh, very well here, but suddenly there's an opportunity out there from, from Burns' turnover. Um, and the Jackal thing is huge. He's had nine Jackal turnovers out of those 16. Um, and it's not always, like people probably tend to think it's always a dominant tackle when you get those turnovers. But with the Scarlets, it's actually often when they soak a tackle, as we saw with Levy earlier on, or when he's hovering in behind the line. You see him there, he's just been kind of cleared out of the last ruck. So he's in behind the defensive line, Laura shell get a, a good positive carry but the ball carrier is going to ground and there he is over the ball he's got a chance before those two uh, arriving players can get there and like what his first actions are probably illegal you can see him there
2: his elbows yeah, on the ground he's got a great release there i it's think he's gone straight that, that
1: neither his elbows are on the ground he's off his feet yeah. but he knows that when they arrive in like it's very easy for us to pick it out the ref has to judge it in mm-hmm. real time they're going to drive him back up onto his feet and now you can see he's on his feet again so he's actually using their <laughs> momentum against them, back on his feet, gets a turnover, um, and in this instance, there's actually advantage playing, so they, they go back over and play that. But he's always just hovering in that kind of second wave. You see here, Toulon on the front foot again, um, uh, offload there from Teufnua, um, and Peterson goes forward. There's, uh, there he is coming from the side burn. Um, and it's probably technically a, like a side entry here, he needs to get background on his side, but like all good open sides, even though he's not an open side, they're really good at rotating their body into it. So you approach from the side, but you snap your feet back, and now instantly it looks to the ref again, a really good picture there, that he's come from behind and he's, he's legal to challenge that ball. Again, he's probably not fully in control of his body weight, but he knows... Bermuda is going to drive him back up and you have to be quite brave against those positions because he's going to absolutely like smash, pounded, yeah. smash your upper back but he's got a great bit of dog in him and he always keeps in the fight and he gets a reward there, gets back up onto the ball and again you see the Scarlett's um, mindset, an instant offload looking to play away and move the ball to the other side of the pitch so he's massive in terms of their attack and their defence and he brings all the work away as well. I think he's an unbelievably good signing for Munster. What do you think Eddie? Is he going to play for Ireland?
2: Yeah, and that form. Yeah, he has to come in directing. Yeah. Well, it's not going to be easy getting on the Irish team at the moment, but he's certainly uh, he, he's certainly good enough to be in those precincts. You know, I think, yeah. and it's funny. Like it's a kind of slightly circuitous route into the Irish team, but it's happened before. Mike Ross went to England. He was in Corcon. He Couldn't get a monster contract. He went off to uh, I think it was Harlequins. Yeah. And then he eventually came back. You know, um, so like. Chris Farrell
1: is another example. Yeah, s-
2: sometimes when you go away like that and you just do something. Different certain environment things start to fit for you. I mean, it doesn't mean that where he was where he started out that they got it wrong. You know, he's obviously developed as a player, yeah, for whatever definitely. reason. Sometimes that's because he got better coaching, sometimes it's because in his own head he flipped a switch. You know, and players do that,
1: yeah. And for him staying fit, like he was he had two torturous years in Leinster, and yeah. um, as you say, like I've seen Leo Cullen get a bit of criticism for letting him go, but at the time it was definitely the right situation. See, that's
2: playing Monday morning quarterback, yeah. you know. Like <laughs> Like you know, yeah, oh, you should have known. You should have known. But at the time, like, who jumped up and down the time and said this is an insane decision? Nobody, because yeah. yeah. the information they had was, this is the best decision. You know, so uh, I think it's easy to do that uh, in retrospect. You know, uh, you know, kind of say, oh, you should have known better. Not really, because in that environment, you are where you are, and you make that decision. Do you make wrong ones? Of course you do. You know, nobody makes the right decision all the time. So, I think the fact he's going back is the the most important thing, and he's probably better for his time away. Hmm. Yeah. you know and he's whatever he's found more mojo that's for sure
1: yeah it's an incredible journey one of the best players in europe now for me
0: yeah well leinster's loss will probably transpire to be monsters gain at some point next season uh, we'll touch upon the red men in the second half we'll call this halftime for now we'll also have questions from you guys for the lads here giving away a jersey and we'll have uh, predictions at the end as well but uh go enjoy the bar and whatnot for 15 20 minutes let's we'll chat you in a sec cheers How's it going? We'll kick off against over the second half. Uh, just a reminder about the uh, jersey giveaway. Don't know where the jersey is gone, but just to let you know that uh, Bank of Ireland are proud to hand over their jersey sponsorship to the Irish Heart Foundation for an upcoming Pro 14 game. That jersey will be going home with one of you uh, when we're taking questions towards the end. And we're going to pick the great man Eddie O'Sullivan to pick the best question. I actually forgot to tell you that. But I presume it's okay. No pressure. Uh, yeah, no pressure at all. Um, <laughs> let's get into Munster then. One of the, actually, it was a friend of mine, Sheen Kelly, who's down in the audience, put it to me at the uh, interval that one of the things that it hasn't really been talked about where Munster is concerned is the fact that they changed head coach halfway through the season, or in European Cup final, or European Cup semi-final, rather. I mean, obviously, the fear at the time when there was that transition, however great it was, was that their season could go south very quickly. But they've actually probably improved over the, over the last couple yeah. of
1: weeks. Well, first of all, I love that you're getting your questions at the <laughs> interval at halftime. Uh, well, here's the thing, O'Sheen <laughs> is a monster <laughs> fan, so he doesn't want yeah, the Leicester jersey just, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so he's uh, and, and secondly, yeah, it's been really seamless. I think Johan van Graan came in and understood that he couldn't just impose his philosophy or style straight away. It's essentially the same game plan, the same kind of core philosophies, kick out your own half, be very direct, very aggressive, set-piece orientated, Conor Murray's kicking game as well. so. I don't think there's been a big departure on the pitch. Also, the assistant coaches I think have been really important. And, and Van Gran mentioned that again this week. He said uh, Felix Jones and Jerry Flannery have been really important, especially this week. And kind of, he said, guarding him from some of the stuff they they messed up in the in the semi-final last year. So they've helped him adapt into the the the, the setup in Munster and the, the senior players. Guys like Peter Manny and Murray are
2: extremely probably influential as well. Nita Barra is probably a worry because the fence coach, like, gone. That's an area that's. If that got ropey, it could, could really hurt you, but they don't seem to have suffered from that. You know, yeah. they've they've managed to like there's no obvious glitch along the line here. And I think you're right, he hasn't tried to change things too much, which is a smart play. Maybe they I think I've been impressed with some of the starter plays. I mean, we'll we talk about it later. But yeah. Um yeah, I think th- he's kept it on track. Now, it be interesting next year, no matter what happens, will he try and put more of his stamp on the team? But I think he's been smart about this year about keeping it on track. And I'd say he would have probably taken a lot of advice from someone like Conor Murray or Peter Mahoney. But this is where we are. This is what we do well. This is what will get the guys energized, you know? Yeah, so. well,
1: I think the thing he's excited about in preseason, you mentioned there, is, it, is attack. He recognized that. They all recognize that against Saracens, especially, was shown up, as Billy Holland said this week, as one dimensional. They feel they've moved on quite a bit from there. Um, I guess we'll see the results of that on, on Sunday or not. But I think that's the big project for him. They have a lot of the core stuff in their in their rugby really solid. As you mentioned, defence, work rate's always good in set-piece, but I think they need to be a little bit more creative, potentially using a guy like Rory Scanlon a bit more as a second playmaker. Uh, Zebo's obviously going to be gone. Whoever's a full-back, potentially adding a bit more in, in terms of playmaking as well. So I think they're in a pretty good shape. Two semifinals in a row is a pretty good return for the province, having had such worries only three years ago. We Nobody, I don't
2: think when everyone heard um, that there was going to be a change of head coach, that uh, you said, w- well, you're going to make the, semif- or the semi-finals of the Pro 14, you're going to make a semi-final of Europe, they'd bite your hand off. And now there's a chance that, you know, to get things right on the weekend, They could be hidden from a uh, European final. So I think in terms of that seamless transition, they've pulled it off, and you must get huge credit for that, because I think when something like that happens, you take it for granted. But What went into making that happen would have been, I think, pretty spectacular. I, I was pretty sure there would be a hiccup along the road, and there hasn't been, and a lot of credit to everybody for that. Now. Um, this would be ice on the cake if they were to win on the weekend, you know, get yeah. into a European final. Yeah, it
1: would be incredible. But it's a great point. Good point, Oshin. Very good point. <laughs> <Well> done, <Oshin.
0: laughs> uh, with regards to having played... It's racing, the jersey. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Oshin, you're, you're, you're going to win the jersey. <laughs> uh, having played Racing twice already this season, like in the pool stages, can you read much into that? Obviously, two very close games in the end. Um, probably a perception that Munster threw it away, uh, away at Racing. Yeah, it probably was one that got away from them, but then like different ball game now. I suppose in the semi-final, what can you read into the two uh, games? Obviously, a, a victory apiece in the pool stage. Yeah,
1: well, they're very, very familiar with each other. I think Racing for me are probably the least French of the French sides. They are fitter than the, a lot of French teams have been in the past, and we saw that they finished strongly in, in the U arena. Um, and even, I think, French teams generally are getting a bit fitter. Monser will probably still back themselves in that regard. But Racing's defense is a little bit more organized. We will look at one of the potential flaws in that uh, soon enough. Uh, they, you know, they, they're attacking. You, know, you mentioned set piece there. You can see them running some old Joe Schmidt plays, actually. So they're a little <coughs> bit behind. But they're really starting to catch up. I think they're the most professional of the French outfits. Um, and that, for me, is probably the concern. Uh, their defense is the best in the top 14, st- statistically speaking. Um, and they work quite hard as well. And, and they'll finish out strong. But Munster know exactly what's coming. They know that if they give them that momentum off the set piece, that guys like Nakarawa, who has 19 offloads in this competition, are going to uh, spark up. And you saw it against Clermont. Like, their discipline was quite poor. Clermont were keeping the scoreboard ticking over in that quarter final, And then suddenly, they get lazy on a kick chase. Andrew uh, kind of kickstarts the, the kick return. Uh, a couple of offloads, and Nakarawa it shows a ridiculous dummy and goes into the right of post and the game is completely changed. Similar again with the, Carter, uh, with the one Carter created with that slightly forward pass. But slightly? Cheers. W- <laughs> he got it in the next zip code. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, okay, that very forward pass. But it was a, a simple missed tackle um, and they got that momentum and when they got onto that front foot they're unbelievably lethal. Their players just come alive. So I think Munster are aware of exactly what it's going to take. Like Rassing's line out is very strong. Really good line of defence, so they'll try and spoil there as well.
2: They are where they are because they're a very good team. And they are right, they are kind of untypically, like, not French, you know. But I, I, th- I still think, psychologically, I think Munster have the edge. I really do. Um, and I think the fact that they're out of France, out of Paris, sorry, and into, into Bordeaux is, a, is in Munster's favour. Um, I think Munster, again, they were taking huge energy out of the Toulon win. Like that game, let's be honest, they watched that game and if they had to play it the following day they probably wouldn't have won it. That's not taken away from the performance. I mean they literally did everything they had to do to get across the line. Now, when you win those games there's a, it's a sense of energy about that, you know, geez, you don't win those games for nothing. Like the the confidence and the kind of the quiet and of I suppose belief that sneaks in on the back of one of those that like and we've beaten we before, we've beaten him in and Park, we, we should have beaten him away. All, like At this level, all that stuff's probably more important than all the tactical stuff. You know, the tactical stuff take care of itself if you get that bit right. The mental side of it is huge. Uh, and I just feel a Munster are in a very good space. Um, then there's no real pressure on them. No one's going to say they're going to walk away with this. Like There's more pressure on Leinster, let's be honest. And for that reason, I think Munster are where they want to be in many ways. Uh, yep. So I'd be quietly confident it's going to happen. You know. Yeah, it doesn't feel as daunting. You know, when you travel away for a
1: French semi final it's generally going to be a bit of fear but this doesn't feel that way they're going to Bordeaux even they've got history there unbelievable day in 2000 that kickstarted the whole thing I don't know if you feed into that now I don't know if coaches use that stuff probably
2: too far away but I think the fact they know that it's just as alien for Racing to be in yeah. Bordeaux as it is for Munster if not more so it will be weird for them to be playing in, in like a home game away from home if you know what I mean so I think Munster have the edge on that the venue I think they're, they're not afraid of Racing. they know they've got to get it right though they, they can't have a poor performance. And it, I, I don't think they can ride their look like they did against Toulon as well. Like, Toulon beat themselves in many ways. And again, people might say, oh, no, you're taking it away from Munster. But look, go back over that game frame by frame. And, like, Toulon would kick themselves for, for letting that slip. They had a chance, couple of chances to win it and they blew it. I mean, once Tran Duck came on the pitch, I knew they were going, Toulon were going to lose. Like, he was going to find a way of making <laughs> make Munster win. You know, he's got a pension for doing that. But,. <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> but having said that, yeah, and I think that's a big thing for Munster now. That that got past too long, you know, taking your chances and all that. Like it's got a lot of a lot in that mentally for them, and I think that's that weighs heavily uh, on 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 racing when they meet on Sunday. Yeah,
1: see.
0: we didn't allude to Leinster's defeat to on because I think within context it probably won't have much of a bearing this weekend. But for Munster to go down to South Africa. For two weeks, I suppose <laughs> beforehand you looked at it and you thought it's logistically maybe not ideal. You're going down there, long flights, the whole lot, and then you've got a European Cup se- uh, semi-final. It probably has transpired to work out in their favour in that you've got a two weeks in in good weather, a bonding session with the squad, and you've got a clutch victory against a very good team in the Cheetahs in the lead up to the game. Like it, I suppose. Maybe if you were to look at it in paper beforehand, you would have been like, "Let's not do that." But the way it's worked out, they got the very best out of it.
1: Yeah, and being down there in Limerick on Monday, they were all extremely positive. The players were clearly buzzing. The atmosphere behind the place was really exceptional. Um, and Van Grand mentioned they got the maximum they could out of it. As you say, getting that group tighter, knit, guys who have been there to get together all season haven't really played alongside each other, roomed with each other ever before. Obviously, yeah. um, younger guys, you know, getting to know Connor Murray, guys who've been away during the Six Nations, all that stuff is massive for. A sense of momentum and getting those two wins kings obviously would have expected that but they were in a difficult situation against the cheetahs who are a good team um, and obviously conor murray was the, the most pivotal guy uh, nice pick of the lads there um but it has worked out really well and, and tough life lads isn't it <laughs>
2: <laughs> professional rugby player huh yeah th- who'd do it um, but i think it did work out in the best it turned out to be like a warm weather camp mm. and they yeah. had two games two important games uh that the easier one first. Uh, they got in a pickle on that one and got out of it. And then to get a good win against the Cheetahs, um, I just think it has kind of energised them about this. And, and there's no doubt that the change of scenery, the rooming together, like uh, there's a lot of kind of uh, positive energy and bonds built on these kind of uh, away trips if you have enough time. Now, it doesn't normally happen because with the Pro 14, you're flying somewhere, you go to a hotel, you eat, you play, you fly home again. But when you, it's like a tour, you're, you have a team room. You're Eating together a lot, there's a bit of banter, there's a bit of time off, and that builds the energy around the squad. You know, it's like some of the best bonding you can get done with a squad is away on tour, like in a summer tour. If it goes well, it could be fantastic in terms of building the team for the autumn yeah. and stuff. So, they would have got that sort of value over that two weeks. They got the two results, um, and they they had to work the way out of a few pickles of the way, which is good as well. So, I, I think I thought it was a good thing, provided it went well and it went well. So, it's not a good thing, you yeah. Know? They also
1: that's got. They also got a nine-day turnaround after Friday to Sunday fixture,
2: which yeah. we had pre- hadn't realised before they left. And the flight thing isn't as, isn't as yeah. big as it's made all. I mean, you're yeah. there's no jet lag flying from South Africa. It's north south. It's just it's not ideal if you're a big guy sitting in a small seat. But the fa- fact is, it's not that more. Like if you're if you're if you're talking about Super Rugby where they're flying, you know, New Zealand to Australia, mm-hmm. like or, or to Argentina, that's serious jet lag issues. But it's not a problem. I think the the cost benefit analysis the flights. Won't, won't, won't be anti negative. Yeah, Worked out really well.
0: Spot on. Well, um, we reckon uh, with regards to team news that Keith Earls is looking okay. We've, yeah. we've heard he's returned to training. Um, there's probably a fair chance he'll start, I think.
1: Yeah, when he cancelled his, me- his scheduled media gig on Monday, we had a suspicion <laughs> that he was going to be involved because we were pestering questions then. And by all accounts, he trained and he's trained well and, <coughs> and he looks pretty good for the weekend. So that's huge boost, especially with that unit in the back three because we talk about their improving attack. I think those three guys have linked quite well on counter attack a couple of times. I think against Cast, um, when Earls actually kick started and Zebo finished off one of, one of their most attractive tries of the season. Also, defensively, the pendulum and working in the backfield uh, is really important. So that's a, a huge boost for him. There's a little bit of concern over Jack O'Donoghue. Uh, took a knock in the ankle. I think they did mention that the, mi- the plane maybe swelled it up a little bit. But again, I think he will pull through for such an important game, um, a, an injury that he can probably play through, hopefully, for, for his sake, because it's a massive point of his career. So I think they're looking pretty good, Nick. Obviously, they're still missing guys like Farrell, Tauta, uh, Chris Clute, uh, Tommy O'Donnell. So they, they're down quite a bit of experience and quite a few key guys. But the fellows who came in there, like Sammy Arnold, was exceptional against uh, Toulon. Maybe didn't offer too much in attack, but defensively, so solid, aggressive, uh, really powerful in contact as well. And, and O'Donoghue was running over the top of Nanu and Bastro at one stage. So uh, their squad is delivered, and I think Again, team-wise, they're looking pretty good.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Um, Murray, as you lu- alluded to a couple of minutes ago, you were going to have a look at Racing's defense, I think.
1: Yeah, well, know. we're going to look. You mentioned the set piece, and I'd be interested to Eddie's take on the Racing defense here. Like, Munster are being very creative in some of the stuff they've come up with or they've robbed it from somewhere, I don't know where he's got it. <laughs> he's Those a guy he plagiarism p- of some yeah, kind. Yeah. Yeah. He's a guy who spends a lot of time watching Rugby. When he comes into the press conference, his eyes are always bloodshot. He's clearly been up all night watching clips of the Curry Cup or something like that. And um, so they always got something clever up their sleeves. And like the best Seppi stuff is, is relatively simple. Um, and I think one Sorry. I think one of the things they they will look at again this weekend is the midfield combination. Uh, So Chavancy and Vakatewa. Vakatewa is a converted winger. He's been playing 13 this season. And I think he's still a little bit unsure defensively. Uh, So this is one of their early you know, 30th minute here, one of your first scrum attacks. And they try and get the ball into his zone to to give him a little bit of a hard decision to make. You get the 12, this move we've seen so many times, get Scannell up flat taking the ball with Chris Farrell. In this instance, it'll be Sammy Arnold running that hard line there. Uh, Keatley out the back with his winger coming with him, the
2: blind winger. Pretty simple play. Scan has a couple of options. You can carry. The tip principle the there pass. is to flood the space here with four attackers, and see how many these guys bite down. Condensing so you flooded it with four. These guys bite down, and then then the space is out wide. So they go at the back.
1: Now the key there is Chavancy is getting stuck there on, on that decoy line. Farrell does a really good job. Gets to the outside shoulder, bump him out of the line, and suddenly you have that disconnection between a, a 12 and 13 who are a little bit. Uh, unfamiliar with each other, let's say. So he's back out of line, you can see there now. And is now going to have to link up with his 10 there. Uh, you've seen Keatley come around the corner with Earls. And they're just trying to create a bit of hesitancy in Vakatawa there, because he obviously wants to drift out onto Earls early. He wants to be sure that Thales, that who is the 10 in this instance, is going to get to 10 there. But look, they've got him just to turn his shoulders in, you mentioned it earlier on. And that's the cue. Now Keatley can send that past Earls. Vakatawa, who's an unbelievable athlete, does recovery? He, he finds his feet again and gets a, a stretching tackle, but Earls with, with a really brilliant offload uh, to Zebo. lovely little flick on, uh, great skill. And they're away down the right. Uh, this ends. This passage actually ends with with Calme probably butchering a chance in the right corner. <coughs> but you mentioned how important it is to get onto the front foot. This is the reverse angle, and, and Eddie, you
2: kind of pointed out how condensed they get in. Yeah, look at this. The, they've they've got one, two, three, four, five defenders locked in here, and like. You could nip him that corner there. <laughs> <Yeah.
1: But laughs> so they're just running to overload. You see there now, it's, it's
2: basically a two-on-one for Vakdawi. He's in, he's in a, so like it. So what they're doing is they're throwing a, like five attackers into a space, and then you've got to make a read. Like, I mean, it could be here that, that um, we'll see a play later where the player runs instead of passes. So it's a good read, and um, like it's, it's, that's where you make your decision. Yeah. But you set that up by, by flooding the, those channels and let the defence decide what they want to do. One more replay of the Zeebo. This is classic
0: Zeebo. Lovely. Are you being harsh on yeah. Conway right here saying he butchers
2: it? No, not this chance, sorry. They oh go
0: sorry, through okay. They go through
1: another couple of phases yeah. into the 22 um, <laughs> and they're right on the <coughs> front you Where You use the set piece launch and, and you're over the gain line. Uh, I think it was was waiting unmarked. It was a difficult pass now. But they have to be But I think this is great chances.
2: to see Because a lot of the stuff We watch now Is just predictable The ball goes from 9 to 10 And he gives it to 12 Puts his head down And plows into two people Yeah And like That's not That's not creativity There's just, That's just just full frontless all Regardless of casualties Yeah and it doesn't really tax the defense unless they want to miss a tackle. That kind of stuff, I think, is hugely exciting. It's, I love seeing it because it's asking questions of the defense. And if they screw up, you could score. And even if they don't screw up, you're going to get a gain line and you can play on the front foot. So it's, to yeah. me, it's, it's the way to go. So a couple of, weekend,
1: uh, couple of weekends later, again, left-hand side scrum, very similar position. I don't know if Clermont, they probably watched Munster doing that and said... Uh, we can actually exploit that space as well, and and there's other clips like this. I work back through their set-piece defence, and that centre pairing have been
2: picked apart by a few teams. They're very um, un- uns- unsure of each other. They don't quite trust each other, yeah. so they play on their own rather than playing as a unit, and that's that's catastrophic in a midfield defence. So it's slightly
1: different. The nine comes to here as first receiver, um, and he's going to run a loop play off the ten, uh, the ten on the ball with the, with this uh, hard line from the twelve again, trying to sit down Chavancy. It's a little loop play. Now Chavancy there, he gets out beyond that first decoy so he's clear and
2: he's in, he's, in he's, he's actually done a good job there yeah, he's but then he, he, he just switches off he switches off for some reason he needs to come forward there be Watch. really aggressive he's got f- to plug that hole there and look what he does but he just
1: disappears and now again <laughs> in fact, in that situation that he is dreading uh, is exposed against two men and it's the, the easiest line break. Parra runs through here runs through lovely pass, pass over the top uh, and beat them it is on the, on the right wing gets a great finish, finish now uh, gets the fend there on, on Dupie Show and, and finishes in the corner but we're going to see the reverse angle again you're going to see how disconnected they get again Para is going to come on that loop play there around his 10 um, and Chavancy there he's done a good job sorry he's just a little bit
2: yeah he, I mean his job was to pin Chavancy and Chavancy made the read and slipped outside him gets outside but him now there. he's got to plug in here yeah. and he's got to pick up Para. And then it's all, it's all OK, then. There's no reason for him not to come forward and be aggressive
1: there. Because this guy here, the 13, obviously can't get the ball. He's out of the game. He's, he's in like front a, of the football. He's a blocker in American football. Uh, but he just gets kind of stuck on him there. Yeah. It's very passive. And now there's that disconnect again between 12, 13, and Para, who's not, not even the most explosive athlete. He's able to scorch through there and, and throw a lovely pass over the top. Good finish in the right corner. So I think that's something that Munster will go back to again. And there are those little glimpses of weakness. Also in their backfield, I think we saw in the arena, Murray kind of boxed over in their 22. Yeah, they're not very good at patrolling that. So there's little, although they are a bit more organised than some French teams. I think there's little opportunities.
0: Well, you mentioned him there, but not that he's lacking in plaudits necessarily. Uh, Connor Murray, I think the consensus best scrum half in the world now. Really, at this stage, certainly if you listen to people here, um, how has it become so important? And then, on <laughs> choice. Yeah, of maybe, maybe the second That's best, best scrum half. D- you want a calendar or something? Like <laughs> that. Don't look at me. <laughs> Yeah, it's on my bedroom wall. Uh, <laughs> <coughs> what, what is it about, uh, about Mario, I suppose, at this stage of his career? Like, probably at his athletic prime, but so much of it comes down to just his intelligence more so than his impressive athleticism, obviously.
1: Yeah, I think it's mindset, isn't it? He, like, he looks so comfortable out there. Even he gets one of those long-range penalties, even in the Grand Slam, and he's just like, oh, yeah, I'll have a pop, no bother. He's not phased by anything. Extremely confident in his skills, I and mean, I think it's based on
2: hard work. He's, he's one. Is in, in one of the most stressful positions on the field, yeah, where yeah. you're constantly making decisions about like four different things: do I pass, do I do I run, do I kick? Um, and he's organising other people around him, and he does it with an incredible calmness, which gives everybody around him huge confidence. And then when he does decide to do something, he executes it really, really well. He doesn't. He doesn't do bad things on the field. He doesn't kick badly, he doesn't pass badly, every now and again, but no player is perfect, every tennis player overhits the ball sometimes, but he just has this calmness about him, and he's not ruffled, and when someone in that key position is that composed around the team, it just makes everybody feel calm, it's a strange thing, but it's very effective under pressure. Yeah,
1: I'd I'd say he's the most important player to their team in the competition, I don't think like without him I'm, I wonder would Munster really be in this position because he's always come up with those big plays. No. even the clever S- try no like I mean, no, listen, yeah.
2: like, <laughs> I mean I, people say I he's the best guy he's the best guy in the world so tell me who's yeah. better than him yeah but people point to Aaron Smith because of the no. quality of his passing <laughs> well who won that back in Chicago yeah, yeah, that's one game. Yeah. That's one game. One yeah, well, is well, enough when you get beaten up like that. Yeah. No, I, 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 I don't. I think he is the best come half in the world. I, I just. Yeah, not I agree s- with you. I agree. I, like you can make cases for other guys, but they're just making yeah. an argument and
1: especially defensively he's so important to the right. team. that's my case and <laughs> <laughs> i've made a case for you uh, we want to look at some of the examples like he's defensively he's brilliant we've looked at in, in past shows during the six nations
2: and actually he's in the line. what george schmidt used them or like andy farrell uses them against england in the line yeah yeah always in the line um which was a kind of a departure, and he made nine tackles against England. Which, for a scrum half, is like is up around what you might your back row might make, mm. because he was in the line. And you can see examples in that England game. As if he wasn't in the line, we were in big trouble out wide. But the fact he was in the line, everything was, was was fine. Yeah. So he's he's a physical guy. He's prepared to play in the contact area as much as anybody else. Which is not. Use your first come half.
1: Mm, normally you're looking for that to half to run over, but you're actually trying to avoid this. We wouldn't want <laughs> We just wanted to look at some of his kicking and, and some of his attacking play, and um, because this is so important. We mentioned Munster trying to get out of their half. They don't like to play in their own half. And people probably bemoan the amount of box kicking in modern rugby but it's it's a massive part of it and um, and like while he is the best player it's all about his teammates kind of facilitating he's always directing them you can see him here he, w- he just wants a bit more uh kind of cover over the ball on that side and you'll see Keely go there archer will come in everyone's just trying to work to get murray the best position to kick what Munster have been really good at is essentially blocking the the guys running through on, on conor murray here um, and the referees have kind of clamped down on this normally you would have seen killer Dave Kilcoyne with his hand kind of resting on the rock, rest have been like, no, you can't do it anymore. You're, you're not part of the rock. You have to be shoulder you're bound. Blind, yeah. So they're standing off, uh, also behind the rock as well. So technically, they're, n- they're not blocking. Obviously, they are when a guy tries to, to run through into that space. Um, but they're really good at constructing these opportunities for him to kick well. You can see Jean Klein there as well as work back to his feet. And now he's got this little pocket here where no one can really get at him. And his skill, which is exceptional in the box kick, comes to the fore. And he clears that all the way up to, to the 10-meter line. Uh, Taking them out of pressure, now they can go and have a go at the line out, the racking line out, get their line speed. That's in That's a 40-meter
2: well. exit, actually. You know, which is huge. I mean, even if that goes back to Kinkley, he's probably not going to get it that far up the field. Yeah, it, it, t- so it takes him to box kick that far into touch is quite extraordinary. Well, he's Keighley's also more likely to get blocked down, isn't he? It's, it's and he's for, he's kick. deeper as well. He's another 10 or 12 meters back when he gets it, and there's more pressure on him. So, and the thing about that is that. He, because Murray does that, you can go to Keighley as well out an off, and they mix the pressure point, and the defence don't know like who's going to kick. Is it Murray or Keighley? Uh So that takes pressure off Keighley as well. Like if everything, I remember like probably one of the things Raj did really well in his time because Peter Stringer didn't kick the ball a lot, if at all. Raj was always the focal point for the up. They knew he was getting it. So, but that can take a lot of pressure off Keighley. you know. Yeah,
1: and they also use it as an attacking weapon. Like it's not just in their own half. We've seen them box kick. Uh, when they're in the opposition half as well. And, and even here, like, he's, he's glanced early. When we come into the clip, he, doesn't, he still actually hasn't glanced down the other side. He's glanced early, so he knows the pocket of space he's going to identify. And it's an incredibly difficult skill, probably underrated. Like, he's, he's just getting that large step backwards, giving himself a bit more space, um, and his head down over the ball, again, not looking at where he's kicking to, just focusing on the skill. and. And he gets such height on his kicks. He gives his chaser so much time. You're looking at probably four seconds plus. The hang time is
2: huge. Uh, hang time is huge. So the longer the hang time, actually, the deeper you can kick it as well, because you have more time to chase it. Yeah, so so like, that's, that's, a, that's a lot of hang time on that. It's, it's a 20-meter it's a box kick, and there's pressure arriving with the ball, which is perfect. Four plus
1: seconds, probably 20 meters upfield, <coughs> 25 yep. meters. Your chaser has a realistic attempt. And like these cheetahs bears could have done better here, trying to escort um uh, who's chasing it, they don't really get any sort of block or shepherding on him and he's able to get up. They're very indecisive. But even if we roll back there, you can see that space that he had identified before he kicked. You know, that winger there is up. The full back is deep across in the backfield. So Murray's picked out a clear space. Now my chase well, he, he a knew that to to was there before run.
2: he picked the ball up. I mean that was a decision yeah. made in, in advance of picking the ball up. But you see here, even if he catches that, Sweeton makes the tackle and they're locked into their practically into their 22, so it's a win-win. Once the kick is good, it's a win-win. If you catch it, it's great. You're on the front foot. If they catch it, you've locked them into their own 22. So it's it's. But you've, the kick has got to be on the money. If that kick is five meters further, he catches it, makes one pass, is a counter attack on.
1: Yeah, and it's a pretty good tool If you've attacked for a while near you're halfway and you're not making progress. Well, uh, usually you're looking.
2: In. What's happening here is the ten is looking to find grass in the backfield, which can be very difficult. But if he can do that for you, if he can get you right into that backfield with a chance of winning the ball back, that's, yeah. that's, uh, that's a good position to be
1: in. And Munster wi- win a penalty there, you know, 35-meter 30, f- gain up f- upfield, win a penalty, you're straight on the attack. This is like is 30 seconds after he comes on the pitch, I think everyone probably saw this one, but it's another example of, you mentioned to me earlier on, like a, uh, Scrum half who's like a back row. Yeah, and he's, he's very powerful, powerful.
2: Yeah, he's hugely powerful and he's physical. So, like, he's not just a guy who can pass and kick, he can run over you as well, which is a bit of a nightmare <laughs> for the fringe defence, you know? Yeah, and his decision-making is so good. You know, really good effort from the scrum there. I mean, I, I can't remember, and I probably should know, so I don't know how many tries he's got for Ireland alone. It's He's got a, quite a few tries for yeah, a scrum half. Yeah, he's off. up over 10 now, and he's 7 this season for Munster. So he's, yeah. And it,
1: it wasn't the case at the start of his career. He wasn't scoring that frequently, but... As he's become more confident, more powerful, and his decision-making there, you can see him picking out that opportunity. The guy he wants to pick on is the opposition nine. uh, Because he knows, like, and it is about teammates facilitating Murray, he knows that Dan Goggin's coming on this hard line. He knows that that nine, having been in that position himself, obviously, is going to be worried. And you can see there uh, that Cheetah's nine is already going. Murray knows that he can use his power to snipe into that space. Little dummy, uh, before he, he powers forward, into the hole. And he doesn't actually get to the line, but he's so clever in just whipping his body around that side and finishing over the line. They do go to the TMO to finish it, but I mean, it changes the game in a split second with, it, with his power, with his good decision-making near the line. And because he's such a threat, this is just a small example of how the defense worries so much about him. He's, gonna get, he's arriving into the ruck there. Um, and the player we're going to keep an eye on here is the, the eight from Cheetahs. He's that left pillar there on the side of the ruck. So he's got to guard that space. But what Murray does, it's just a little glance. You can see him there when we roll it back. He's making that little glance left. Now this guy on the right hand side of the rock is, is he's shitting himself. He's like, oh Conor Murray's <laughs> going at me, um, and he's calling for for support. That pillar, who the pillars should never really leave their position. No. Uh, he's going to go as soon as he goes, Murray waits, bides his time, he sees him make that move, and that's when the pass goes. He doesn't even see. Start himself. He
2: has to, he has he has to go because Munster have an attacker. That's a two on one there, yeah. so he, he is right to panic. Yeah, he's in trouble because Munster have a winger. <laughs> he's when right you see to him shit himself, to? himself. Yeah, and. He's got to go, but what's got to happen is when he goes, Fold in, he's yeah. got to push in, or he's got to get out. But you see Munster hold him in, yeah. smart play. But he's got to push over straight away, but Murray sees it a mile off.
1: Yeah, and, and Jack O'Donoghue just, again, we you talk about forward's footwork, just getting into that space where, you, where the aid is vacated. And, and they don't make a big gain line, but it's a simple little look from Conor Murray. that's like almost Well, it's a
2: big gain line because you're five metres out. Like there's a value of real estate changes as you get near the goal line, yeah. you know? Yeah, teasing the defence. So, yeah, it's,
1: he's so important to, to, to Munster in so many different ways. Brilliant player.
0: 100%. We're going to uh, get predictions uh, for Munster and Leinster in a moment. We're going to take your questions, first of all, so if we can get a microphone down to uh, the kind folks here. If you have a question, just put up your hand. In the meantime, while we're getting that uh, set up, we were sent a, an interesting photograph from the year 1998 recently, uh, Eddie. It was the uh, Galway senior football team that won the All-Ireland that beat Kildare in the All-Ireland Final. I think it was one fourteen to one ten that day yeah. in uh, Croke Park. Yeah, I don't know if you I, could I, spot I, any... Uh,
2: I did not play on that game. <laughs> <laughs> well,
0: what, what, what was the story? Because I, I wouldn't have known you were involved at, at that stage at all with um, the uh, Galway footballers. This is at well the reunion last week. I was, just, week, was, I was a
2: strength and conditioning coach. Right. From afar, I was actually working in America and I was writing their tr- fitness programs for them. I used to beat them in the winter, do their weight sessions, You know, set them up and then in the summer when I was away and they were they were doing mainly running um now you go back twenty years so uh but we I used to write all their their fitness programs for them, and John O'Mahanney was able to implement them, so uh they didn't like me because I used to run them into the ground, you know about the week, uh, John they sorry they were. You were mentioned quite a lot. Oh, yeah, yeah, I was, that was at that function, actually. That was... Sorry, it was the that 20-year anniversary, was it? 20-year anniversary. It wasn't 20 years ago. I, I, I <laughs> <laughs> uh, but as you can tell, some of them are quite bold. But um, that, that was taken last weekend, but that was the Galway team of 20 years ago. And uh, the other guy there who was involved, can you see him as Tommy Gorman, was involved. He used to do the video analysis because oh. he was working in Sligo at the time. And he used to video games and cut them. Um, he was working w- with one of the newspapers in Sligo, so it was a, like, like, we were kind of like the Secret Service, we weren't seeing what we used to have an impact, you know, but uh, that, was, that was the reason for that, um, so he did a strength conditioning, that was it.
0: Fair enough. Um, I suppose it's something that we've seen now, probably implemented in GA a lot more, like you've got Bernard Dunn working with the dubs and things like that, yep. people coming in from the, uh, from the outside, fair play. Uh, we'll take uh, questions there, so there is a Oh, a Leinster jersey on offer and uh, I have to remind you, uh, yeah, just that Bank of Ireland are proud to announce the Irish Heart Foundation as a shirt sponsor for an upcoming uh, Pro 14 game. So um, we'll take your questions for the lads if anybody has any and uh, we'll get Eddie to pick the best one for the Leinster jersey. No questions, Uh, this is going to be awkward. Uh, A gentleman here and a gentleman here. It always takes a couple to kick things off and... Where do you see Tyg Byrne fitting in when he starts playing for Ireland? It's obviously very hard to drop by there, Ryan or Henderson, and then the back rows obviously start. Yeah, I don't
2: think you can see it like that. He'll go in and he'll, like, you don't get into the, into the team and you take up a position you hold it forever. It, he'll become part of the squad and become a go-to guy, uh, I think, in the second row. Um,
0: mm-hmm.
2: And it's going to be a tough precinct to break into when you, when you see the, the calibre of players that are there, but I think he's going to find himself in that those precincts. And then it's up to himself, you know, you've got to deliver. But it's just about getting your foot in the door and making a statement. And yeah. I think he's done that now, in, yeah. in, in a sense. I'd be amazed if he doesn't go to uh, Australia.
1: Yeah, I'd expect him in that squad. Like, it, it's, it's hard to say we don't know who's going to be injured. Like a guy like Alton Delan, who didn't feature in Six Nations and has had probably a, a, t- a tough time off the pitch, has to come back into the mix as well yeah. and certainly has a lot of improvement to go. So he, there's going to be loads of options there, definitely. Uh, but I think he's second row, yeah. He's played a lot in the back row with Scarlets, but I think that's only been when they've had guys away on international duties. I think
2: the Irish back row is too hard to get into anyway. You look at the caliber of players around the back row, it's probably a better chance of making it into the into the lock position.
0: Is it one of the is it the case as well though that we've seen, particularly I suppose with Leinster, but it probably applies to Ireland as well where it's rare you're going to have all of the options fit and while one is out, you can cement your place for at least a few months. Maybe you pick up a knock, then somebody else comes in and it's just a sort of a... It's almost a conveyor belt. like. Yeah,
1: it ha- that has been the case, hasn't it? Like, you know, uh, Vander Fleer starts... This year on the
0: Six
2: Nations. Like Vander Fleer starts and then... Yeah, we've had a lot of guys that come in and play, you know.
0: but Rhys Roder- Roderick is always a forgotten man, I feel. He, yeah. goes, he gets injured, he comes back, he's in red-hot form and it's like, geez, where's this guy been for the last... Yeah, run? the
1: depth is very well, good. But the depth is huge you now. Yeah. Uh,
2: and I think. Th- th- what we're seeing in the last few years is that the, the academies are really driving through the talent. They're starting to deliver, like in terms of the numbers of guys coming through the academies. I mean the academy started ten or fifteen years ago, they were just getting set up to find their feet. They're now actually delivering the, the product, you know, at the at the and uh, to be fair, the school's game as well is such high calibre at the moment that they're going into the academies and it's everything's ratcheted up. I mean I remember when I coached the Irish on twenties twenty years ago they looked like schoolboys who got out of school last year. Um, I was in Donnybrook when the other 20s played Italy this year, and they all looked like they could play a professional rugby in the morning. They looked just like really just ramped up physically. And you see someone like Larmour, who's like an extraordinary athlete. But they're all a product of the academy and and the school's game. Fair enough. Uh, Gentleman up the front here. I I know you've done marvelous analysis of uh, Tlenefli and uh, Rassi Metro. But do you think that uh, Leinster beating Saracens and Munster beating Toulon and Toulon were a great side? They're actually the two strongest teams Bar Leinster and Munster have been beaten. Yeah, I think the prop, the thing you have to be careful of is when you get to this point, it's knockout rugby. And the, day, the like, it just it over. If 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 you are to take it just on on form, yeah, I think the, yeah. the two Irish teams are in the pole position in that respect. But it's eighty minutes of knockout rugby, so simple thing like a yellow card or a bad pass or a bad refereeing decision can change a game and you're hoping that doesn't happen. So that's the risk but I I, I still think um, Munster are in a good place mentally, they're in a good place going to play in Bordeaux and I think they'll really be quietly confident they can get it done. They won't say that, they'll talk. I think Leinster, I worry about Clenetley because they're kind of where Monster are in terms of they can come to Dublin and, and pull a stroke that's why I wouldn't be as as effusive about Leinster. But uh, Having said that, it'd be hard to back against them with the talent they have on show. Yeah, yeah. I,
1: I guess with the opposition, it's because they don't have that European history as well. You know, yeah. Scarlets haven't been here since The yeah. Racing <laughs> were in the final in 2016, but probably underperformed in what was an awful final. So they probably don't have that history. It doesn't feel as significant. I do feature. think so.
2: Winning the Pro 14 last year has been hugely huge, for, huge in for. terms of in their confidence about on a big occasion. And Racing but have done that domestically yeah, about as well. Their business, yeah. so they've they've been in
1: those
0: finals as well. So. Yeah.
1: Yeah, while it, on the outside it looks like an easy fixture, I think these two clubs are definitely on
0: the rise as, as European forces. Fair enough. Anybody else uh, have a question for the guys? Oh, good for you. Oh. Uh, do you think if Slip hadn't retired and was at full fitness, would he make it into the Leinster squad? I didn't get that. Sorry. If Slip hadn't retired and was at full fitness, would he make it into the Leinster squad at the moment?
1: I think he'd be starting number eight. Yeah, I do. He was. It's easy
2: to forget when, when a guy's gone, but he was yeah. absolutely brilliant. He was still performing. He was, I suppose, but he under a bit of pressure. I thought Conan's been outstanding this year. Like, he's really, really, yeah. he's, um, he's been special. But he probably would, given his experience. You know, like, that does count on the big occasions. Like, uh, but having said that, it's, it's, a, it's a, one of those precincts where it's almost like her, very, um, Here's the funny thing about that is you see someone like uh, Dan Levy this year, like, who was really not mapped at the start of the year, gets his chance. And um, boy, does he grab it. Why? Because he knows one misstep here, and, and you're going to be watching the stand. You know? And that's the pressure on these guys to take the opportunities, which is, that's at the end of the day, that's the kind of pressure you want on all your players. Nobody's assuming they're going to get a, a start, because it could go either way here. And I think that's been a hallmark, of, uh, particularly in Leinster, with the depth they have, for mm-hmm. sure.
1: Well, you mentioned the experience. So I think the comfort of having a Heath there is because you know he's had those big moments in those big yeah. games. Like his teammates talk about little things like that Luke play against Northampton where he takes out a man after he passes in for a try. The tackle on Stuart Hogg for Ireland. His teammates always mention those things, and, and that's a, a massive reassurance when you have that beside you. Before the injury, he was still very fit as well. He's obviously a very professional guy, so yeah, I think he, I think he probably would have been starting. But it has been positive probably for Irish rugby because now even Max Deegan's coming through, getting games as well. So... And Jordy Murphy's been in unbelievably good form as well. So, as you say, the depth has grown, and, and that's probably as a result of that.
0: No wonder Jamie Heasel, to the media. His retirement has been positive for Irish rugby, <laughs> you were saying. <laughs> yeah, there are your words. <laughs> uh, anybody else? Oh, there rare more, sorry. Yeah. Um, just looking at Leinster's defence and how they're managing to keep their shape so well, and then when we look at Ireland, <clears throat> during the Six Nations, they're cut out wide quite a few times. What is it that Leinster are managing to do better than maybe Ireland were able to do in terms of kind of keeping their discipline. Is it a discipline thing, or is it?
2: No, Ireland's discipline is outstanding. I think they're conceding ridiculously a number of penalties. A yeah. lot of teams playing against them are complaining that they're not being penalised more. So discipline isn't the problem. Uh, it's a very simple thing called spacing. You know, like if you look at, even against England, uh, when you remember England were driving a mall one time and um, they they've took the ball out of the mall and they they threw a pass to, to um, uh, Farrell, who popped at the to Tio except he couldn't get the two. He pivoted back, and he gave it to one of the second rows. I think it might have been um, Cruz. And then I think the ball was knocked out of Cruz's hand by, by, um, by Carberry, right? So the reason I go into that is the key is that Carberry is the outside center. He's standing beside them all um and the next guy beside him is, is is um is um keith earls if you look at the picture there's absolutely nobody on the irish goal line i don't even know where rob carney is i can't find him on the, on the clip you know um so um the irish defense can get narrow it got really narrow and if england had just made two passes they'd had walked under the sticks mm-hmm. so they have been vulnerable we saw them against wales they got caught i think had um dan bigger been on the pitch he wouldn't run that intercept. At the very end of the game, he
1: would have gone to Taperick at the back. He round. would have
2: gone out the back oh. to Tiprick and it was probably going to be pretty hairy yeah. uh, because they'd already scored. Like Schindler scored a few minutes earlier. So it comes down to spacing. I mean, the number of times you freeze the Irish defence, you could drop a dustbin lid over 10 of them, you know, because they're so complex around the rock, yeah. And that's a problem. That does give the outside channels. Uh, and Leinster had that problem, as I talked about, Glancaster talked about it there earlier in the year, but they seem to have found that balance. Uh, Ireland's not that good at it. They still conceded three tries in Twickenham. Yeah. It, it often, like, there
1: yeah. is a why. like, obviously, Earls and Stockdale get exposed and you go, oh what a bad And season, they get the blame because they, they, get the they, left guys guys with, they
2: get left with an impossible decision. Guys three guys are down your channel. Yeah, it's, it's also worth
1: pointing out that the, the pace of the game steps up when you go to test level. Yeah. Suddenly, you have to get back to your feet and you don't have that extra split second to maybe get a little bit of a, a But a the worrying thing
2: for me, Maury, is that, like, Ireland haven't been really missing tackles. Yeah. Um, and they haven't been lazy wor- but they just get their compression wrong yeah. around and the then
1: breakdowns then are, are they placing too much focus on not being broken in those areas because how you don't have, you have, have to, to do that you don't have to do that yeah. you it's know, ha- it's happened consistently where one pass takes out those four four or areas. five guys yeah, yeah.
2: I mean uh, it's that's fine if they go down that channel but teams are looking at us going well why was we you attack there there's four defenders why don't you just mm. throw two passes one out the back and you're going to get the corner yeah. and uh, we've been caught like that consistently even Italy got three tries against us yeah. so like it, it, you know, it, I suppose when you win a Grand Slam, you can step back and go, "Look, everything was great." Everything really wasn't that great. We won a great Grand Slam, but my worry going to Twickenham was that defensively we looked very frail. Now the fact that we got three tries, they got three tries, but we kicked the conversions, they didn't. Was the difference at the end of the day? They still got three tries yeah, in Twickenham. one of those tries probably late on when the yeah, yeah. when the game yeah. was over. Yeah, but they and it that English midfield isn't isn't. That locked up, you know, because Eddie Jones yeah. is still toying with his his midfield. He's he, he's not sure to play Farrell at 12 or Farrell at 10, Tio at 12, T.O. at 13. You know, that whole midfield is in a mix for him. He hasn't figured that out yet. Yeah. So it's not it's not the most potent midfield, and they still scored three tries.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, Leinster get benefits from that. They get so many knock-on effects on the grandstand. Those guys are working hard on those things, and then they come in, in into a big match like Sarri's. But I think Leinster's events
2: sh- has been has improved. Yeah, definitely
1: definitely, definitely. definitely
2: improved. We saw there like you looked as a wall of blue. And they've been very smart. They haven't. It's, it's interesting that it was an area they were worried about earlier in the year. Now I think they're pretty comfortable with it. But they'll have to be against the Scarlets. Yeah. If they get narrow at all on Saturday for whatever reason, is incredible. there's such trouble good coming.
1: Yeah. Their, sh- their shape, like they're, they're so comfortable. And they even move between shapes. They always have a flanker, either 15 meters. Well, they're channel. playing
2: 1-3-3-1. One, three, three, one, yeah. So there's yeah. always a forward presence on the outside channel. And as you say, if they get a turnover, they're just going to throw two passes and go. Yeah.
1: You know? So, yeah, biggest test yet for Lancaster's D. Tom Notch, who's next?
0: the outset that you thought there might be a negative to there being two irish teams mm. potentially in the final i'm just wondering what that actually is yeah I an unbelievable callback i'd completely <laughs> forgotten about that at the time i was Good like call. i must remember that yeah
2: um the reason i, I say that is nothing to do with ireland it's the fact that i thought it was like as we know a few years ago that the french and the english took over the european competition they basically decided we're in charge of this we're we going to scale it back, and we're going to reduce the numbers, and then you're going to have to qualify out of the Pro 14 or the Pro 12 to get in. So they, the Europe, France, and England have control of, of Europe. And after the quarter final, I think, you know, Saracens hardly touched on in London, and they were all the blocks against straight away saying, well, we have to reduce the numbers again. They are like the uh, Premiership rugby were all front and centre, saying we have to reduce the numbers. There's too many games. And my worry is that if, if for some reason we were to dominate Europe again, you know, it was all about Ireland, they're inclined to go, well, you know what, we don't care that much about Europe. I mean, the French have always been, as they say themselves, come see, come say about Europe. You know, like, depends on how it's going. Uh, if it's going well in front of the top 14, or the, pro, the they might pitch up. If things are going badly in the top 14, they don't care what's going on in Europe. You know, they just have to survive. Um, certain teams take Europe seriously, like Toulon, Racing Metro, obviously. But the French are very convincible. They could easily be swayed by the English. The English are looking at Europe going, is this really for us? Do we want to put all our energy into this? What's the upside? And then when Saracens come to Dublin and get sent packing, you know, um, my worry is that France and England say, well, you know, Europe's not that important anymore because we're not winning it anyway. And mm-hmm. it's a pain in the backside. We've got to look after our own backyard, focus on the Premiership, make sure there's not too many games. All that narrative worries me. And that was pretty early out of the blocks after Saracen's lost. Yeah. So if we had two Irish teams in, in, the, in the final of Europe and we're you know, going for it and it's all about us, that's, that's just a worry. It's yeah. a political thing, but it's something I, I wouldn't rule out because I've already fired a shot about it. Yeah.
1: It's a tricky one for EBCR because when the Irish teams are doing well, they're doing well financially and the competition is doing well in terms of people going to watch the games. Yeah, because
2: we're the best supporters mm-hmm. in Europe. Yeah. Uh, they we get travel deal, and we, we spend yeah. money and we, we get behind teams. you know, but. If you look at it from the other side, the, the premiership is struggling. There's a, one team made money last year. Mm. Even sarson's have substantial debts on the back of their success. So they're all looking to how to recalibrate and make some money and stabilise. They're talking about eliminating um, promotion relegation. They're ring fencing 14 teams, like, like holding them in there and just making the best of it. That all doesn't ring well for Europe because Europe becomes a bit of a a bit of a nuisance, mm. you know? It's a worrying one to follow, right? Yeah.
0: Jesus, we can't end it like that. I mean, it's, <laughs> a, it's a great point, though, mind <laughs> yeah. you. Um, who's next up? Got a couple here on this side of the room.
2: Well, yeah, regarding strength and depth, um, we've heard a lot the last number of years about Leinster,
1: they've three players in each position. Um, just looking at Munster, in my opinion, they're missing four
2: of their backs against Toulon, um, how well do you think Leinster and Munster have coped, and possibly Leinster coping without McGrath,
1: Lowe, O'Brien, well definitely we basically said this weekend, how impressed have you been with Munster and and Leinster coping with their injuries this season?
2: I think Leinster are better equipped, I think they just have more players at the moment like Munster are a bit skinnier, um, and I think the key for the Toulon game was that they they got um, Rory Scannell on, on the field. They got Conway on the field. They got Zeebo on the field. Like I think had the, they would they would struggle without those guys more than Leinster. Leinster, they have more strings in their bow. Um, so I think Leinster have a little more depth. But having said that, I I I probably said this a couple of times earlier, but I I think Scanlon is a phenomenal player. I mm-hmm. mean. I just think he's hugely underrated. I thought he's a guy who's really, really got everything that you need, and I, I'd, I'd love to see him play actually play more outside centre, because I think he's got oh that. Yeah. I don't want to kind of put put the, the hex on the guy, but there's something about him that reminds me of a Driscoll And his his work rate, his his energy, his passing skills, his toughness. He's a really good player, and but he's key to Munster. I think actually, if Munster were to lose him, I think things get very tricky for them because I think he's at the heart of a lot of good things that happen at Munster. But I think there is good depth in Leinster, very good depth Munster not so much. Um and I think if that were to happen to a couple of players like Zeebo and I, and I think Zeebo will be gone is is, is very sad because I think yeah. he's gonna be very hard to replace. Again, he's a one of these guys he's got the X factor. Uh he can like I wouldn't surprise me, you saw that tip on pass, like who does that? you know mm. um he could be the guy on Saturday that unlocks you know, he'll do something ridiculous, he'll spin out of a tackle and he'll put someone away Uh, so like he's going to be a big loss but what will happen, we'll use him you know.
1: Yeah, like I think the depth in Leinster feels more proven or feels less of a
2: a gap. that's That's not a mystery because just Leinster have more schools playing rugby so they have much more options coming into the academy, there's more competition to get in, like yeah, Munster have some great schools but they're not the same numbers, it's a numbers game um, and that's really the, the the truth of it. It's not that Munster are doing that particularly bad. They just don't have the volume of talent yeah. that Leinster have. Well, like, Scanlan's uh, a good guy, a good
1: example of guys coming through the academy and now he's an excellent player. It's just getting it more but guys like But even if you him.
2: look at the number of Leinster guys who are playing in the other provinces as well, yeah, that the the overspill they're getting, like Geordie uh, Murphy's gone off to Ulster, which is probably a smart move in terms of his career, in terms of playing. Like he he, be, he could easily get squeezed out next year in in, uh, in Leinster. So. Like I think that's where the strength of Leinster is in their depth, and I think Munster aren't doing anything wrong, it's just that the numbers are in their favour. Yeah, they're working hard.
1: Like, a guy like Alex Wooden's been pretty good when he's come in, and, and Calvin Nash. He's kind of a late developer, prospect, because I
2: remember four years ago he was playing with Gary Owen and he was kind of involved in the sevens, and he, he he, he, wasn't, didn't look like he was going anywhere, I mean, to be honest with you, I mean, but, like, some somebody flipped a switch, or he flipped a switch. Uh, he got a know.
1: chance, he got a run of games.
2: Yeah, and he, he just took it. You know, and even like last year a guy like Ron the Man, he was playing fantastic rugby has been squeezed out. So there's a bit of competition there for sure, you know. And, and again I think that goes back to my point about you're in a situation where if you get a chance you better take it. Or someone else gonna take it off you. Yeah, and that's what we used to talk years ago, we used to talk about the all blacks being like that. Mm-hmm. That if you got picked for the all blacks, you never give up your shirt because you might never get it back again. Yeah, it's getting like that with Ireland though. Yeah, In it's a lot it's of interesting
1: I'll see them RFU and Munster supplement. So like Byrne, now that can be a better avenue getting those guys back into the game. And also the Irish qualified guys like Mike Haley is coming over, uh, Addison's going up to Ulster. They're targeting those kind of players more as well. So yeah. anything to grow the depth is is good really for for Irish rugby. I know some people wouldn't maybe agree with guys who haven't grown up in our system or have played for England, Saxons coming over and trying to play for Ireland. But well, in a professional game, that's what they need to I do. I think it's
2: straightforward. If you're entitled to a passport, you should be able to play. Th- I think they are Irish. But I, I I am I am happier that they have pushed it out to five years on the residency rule. I think yeah. that's probably about right. I think three years, to me, all of us didn't feel right. Um, so I think that's fair. But, but having said that, you've got to use the regulations. But ha- I, I, I still think that in the overall picture, we've never been in better shape in terms of depth uh, in the country. And I think that's, to be fair, back to the strength of the schools game in Ireland and the academies starting to kind of really streamline their process and deliver guys at a a very young age in in great fettle, both skills-wise and and particularly strength and conditioning.
0: 100%. (laughs) Take a couple more before we wrap. There's three to go. We might make you the last three, if that's all right, because you do have to get home at some point. Sorry.
2: On the depth of the squad, I suppose we do have good depth across most of our of our numbers. But we were talking about Conor Murray earlier, and the difference between that number nine and the rest of our number nines is so great. Do we think that they are putting things in place to prepare if you was to get injured? I think that's a good question. But I, I think the r- reason is you're comparing whoever's second to Conor Murray, and you can take your pick, you're comparing the second to Conor Murray to the best scrum half in the world. He, he yeah he's <laughs> he like. The odds of us having a guy that could challenge him at the moment are pretty slim because I don't think anyone could challenge him. He's our best nine ever. He's the best nine ever. He's the best nine in the world. So the guy who's number two to him, whether you want to mix, it's, it's um, whether it's Marmion or, or, or it's Luke McGrath or uh, Cooney's had a great year up, up in Ulster. But they, to be fair to them, they're still on. But Connor is so far ahead of everybody. So will we find another Connor Murray? I don't know. <laughs> I'd like to. But yeah. it, it's unlikely. So the next guy up is probably not quite as good, as him, but that he still be a very good scrum half. I think you're not comparing the average guy with an average guy. He's yeah. exceptional. I think on your point though, they do. There
1: is there does need to be an effort to get that guy a little bit closer. New graves was unlucky; he got injured after being on the bench mm-hmm. for the first game. Yeah. And I think the Australia tour will be key for Carberry, potentially at ten, and whichever those scrum halves you decide is next in line to get a, 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 get exposure against a tier one nation in a huge. I think the ca- problem as
2: well. for Carbery still is the fact that he's behind Sexton and Leinster. Like yeah, if he's Ross go- Byrne yeah. If he's Yeah, well, well, I think he's ahead of Ross Byrne because of his experience, and Ross Byrne is a very good player, but Car- I mean, i got a bit of stick for this, but Car- Carberry, if he's our number 210, he does have to play the big games. He should be starting next Saturday, you know, I- I with the club he's with. If the club is in a big game, he should be starting. But, the truth of the matter is he's behind Johnny, understandably so, but he, in terms of going to the World Cup in 18 months' time, if Johnny gets injured... And needs to start a big quarter final game. You know, where is he? And that? that that's that not giving out about him, he's a fantastic player. But in terms of him being best prepared to step on the world stage and deliver under huge pressure, he probably needs to be playing at the top end week in, week out, week in, week out. And in these big games where, you know, there's no there's no hiding place, you know, that's where he needs to, to hone his skills. And when he's behind Johnny, it's very hard for him to do that. The opportunities don't arise. There's no pr- question that Carrie will start next weekend. Yeah, no I, think that's
1: a, I think that's a challenge for Schmidt. Just been depth everywhere else and now, just to get those guys a little bit closer.
0: Yeah. Cool. Uh, we've got two more before we wrap. Um, out of the current crop of young Irish players, is there anyone who stands out that could go on to be the next Brian O'Driscoll or Paul O'Connell of, or a player of that sort of stature, I guess?
2: Well, I know what you mentioned, two of them. Um, I think I think Carberry is, is in is in um, definitely what I've seen, he's in the same trajectory as O'Driscoll, you know, if he's lucky with injuries. Um, I think James Ryan could be uh, Paul O'Connell material as well. I do think that. Um, they just what it strikes me about them, which struck me about O'Connell and O'Driscoll when they started was that when they were seamless in their transition to the top end of the game. There was no hiccups. And they seemed comfortable when they took the big stage. Like Carvery to me, has made a limited number of mistakes, tiny number of mistakes in his, in his big appearances. Um, and I think Ryan watched him watchman under 20s. I thought he was outstanding. And I was thinking, well, can he make the step? You know, he made the step. So they're the two guys, I think, at the moment that are, you're looking down the track. And in World Cup... 23, they could be the, the, the two key
1: guys, you know. I think even looking back a, a little bit further, 20s crop at the moment, the guy who didn't play in the Six Nations was Caelan Darris, who's an yep. exceptional prospect at number yep. eight. He'll be back for the World Cup. He actually made his comeback. Deegan's recently. been outstanding as well this year. Yeah, he has Deegan, been. You know. um, another under-20s guy, Angus Curtis, who's slightly underrated, radar up in Ulster. No know his came, dad well. Came from, yeah, of course. Uh, his of course. dad played for Ireland yeah, back and in grew the up in 91 World Cowboy Cup. Yeah, he played for Connacht Europe. as well. Yeah, yeah. So, there's a couple of other guys on those underage teams, even 19's level. There's a couple, of, and Jacko Sullivan from Munster did really well in, in Doris's absence. So there is a, a nice pipeline of guys coming through there as well.
0: Absolutely. Uh, one more. The back there is there. Gentleman ankle.
1: down the back. Uh, you touched on it there about Calgary uh, getting more game time. There's talks of the RFU working to get him into uh, Munster or Ulster. Do you think it'd be a good move for him? And if so, which province would be better for him? I think I think the provinces are pushing that a bit more. I think Munster especially have made the point that he could get a little bit more game time potentially down there. And Ulster obviously as well now need a
2: need a ten. So Yeah, it depends on where Munster see. Like I think um Keighley has done very well, but Blendall has been injured. And Blendall probably in some ways might have been there they would have seen the guy who would have led the charges here, but he got injured and Keighley stepped up. So there's options there for him. But it's not, I think if he goes, it'd be good for him to stay in Ireland, because if he goes outside Ireland, the policy they have, he, he wouldn't be able to play for Ireland. Uh, the unofficial policy, um, as Ian, Ian Madigan out. Um, yeah. But, um, who is another fantastic player, uh, who I think is an excellent 10. But having said that, yeah, he, it doesn't matter really. Once he, wherever he goes, it doesn't really matter once he's playing every week. That's the key. It's not about he'd be better off here or there. He'd be better off playing rugby every week and get and kind of hone his skills under pressure.
1: Yeah, the issue is that he hasn't wanted to move. He wants to stay in, Le- in Leinster where he's grown up. Yeah, it is. I- it's easier for us to say that, but he would have to move his life and whatever. Well, you know, th-
2: I mean, some people move around the world to get a job. Yeah, you know, that's like true, that's moving true. Moving to, to Belfast or to Galway or to Cork or Limerick yeah. isn't the end of the world, you know?
1: And his scale of talent is, it has it's to be.
2: Motorways com- are working pretty well. <laughs> he's, he's a killer man, he, A couple he? of
1: Leinster guys are now moving there with Jordy yeah. Murphy obviously making move It's going to be a brilliant signing. For me, it would make more sense if he did go to Ulster, especially with the gap in their squad there. So uh, uh, he just needs to play bigger games all the time, yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, thanks a million for your questions. Um, we'll get your predictions then, guys, for uh, the weekend, and then we'll pick a winner for the jersey. I have all the questions logged here, so uh, yeah. our memories won't be tested too harshly. <laughs> uh, we'll start we'll start, with, uh, we'll start with Leinster then uh, at home to the Scarlets. Murray, what do you reckon? Um,
1: yeah, I think Leinster, for the reasons we've mentioned, they've improved They're more complete force. So I think they'll win by a try. Um, I think they have enough scoring ability and, and their defence has been really good. So, yeah, I think Leinster will be in that final.
2: Eddie? I'll make it easy for you. But be an in final.
0: Oh. No. Disaster for Europe, but uh, glory for Ireland.
2: It's <laughs> so out of my control.
0: The Brexit day, will be going mad. But
2: I, I think, yeah, I think, I, I, I agree with Murray. I think, yeah, Leinster, are, it's been put up to them, but it's been put up to them all year. They've done it. And I think Munster, I have a sneaking feeling about Munster. They're not favourites, but I just in these situations, I wouldn't back against them.
0: Class. Well, we'll uh, pick a winner for the uh, Leinster <laughs> jersey. Uh, oh my God, there are a lot of questions, but they were really good questions. Uh, will Tyke uh, Byrne Ber- fit in for Ireland? Have Leinster and Munster already beaten the next best teams in the competition in knocking out Saris and Toulon? Would a fit Jamie Heaslip get into the Leinster squad? Why are Leinster better at keeping defensive shape than Ireland? What's the negative to an All-Irish final? Uh, how impressed? That was a really good callback. How impressed that's have you been? That's in the line? question. That's, that's the, the question. That's the one. We don't need to go any further. No, no. Okay, well, there <laughs> a you no go. strategic That's question. It, it saved our <laughs> bacon anyway, for box. sure. It was good. Yep. Fair play. It was uh, the woman right. in the back there. Will we do that? We'll give it to you in a second. Is that right? Perfect. Yeah. Lance, <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks Emily so for coming. Really appreciate it. I just want to thank our sponsors again, Bank of Ireland, and they'll be uh, having the Irish Heart Foundation on uh, Leicester's jersey for a pro-, pro-, pro 14 game coming up soon. Um, <laughs> oh, Wow. Oh, I didn't see that in advance. Now I have to say, fantastic!
2: I'm not in that hall anymore. Listen, <laughs> I was asked to leave that hall. Well, while it's
0: there, our thanks, <laughs> our sincere thanks to Eastside Tavern as well for the use of the hall. And uh, look, hope you enjoyed it. Uh, enjoy the weekend. More importantly, have a good one, and thanks a million for coming. All the best. Cheers.